Wednesday night with Tara and Rollo on BBS Radio. We're so grateful that you're joining us here this evening, and we'd like to take a few moments to set the tone for the evening. So let's take a few gentle breaths. Breathe into your nose and out through your mouth, slowly, gently. Let go of that dross of the day. As we go into our heart space, let us gather with our guides and guardians, our spirit teams, healing teams, our ancestors, our, our totems. And, uh, yeah. So we have this syndrome with us in this wave of chemi that we're in. <laughs> and uh, we're going to do that good drumming and calling in this direction. But let us first gather around that council fire. There's a council fire here, and it's in the center. So come in close in that perfect circle as we gather around that council fire. And that beautiful way we know how to do Let us call in the seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. Welcome from the east, the house of light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see things clearly. We welcome from the north, the house of night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. We welcome from the West, the House of Transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. We greet from the South, the house of eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruit of the planetary being. We welcome from above the house of paradise, where the star people and the ancestors gather. May their blessings reach us now.
and we greet from below the house of the earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with its harmony so that we might end war. And we welcome from the central source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May, the be- may everything be recognized as the light of mutual love. I am Hunaku, even Maya, Imaho. I am Hunaku, even Maya, Imaho. I am Hunaku, even Maya, Imaho. All hail the harmony of mind and nature. In Makash Shalakin, I am another you, you are another me. <laughs> oh. Let's just stay wherever that heart that drum beat took you and like take a few moments to take a look at the Mayan record of days for today and for the week ahead. And today is a portal day. Can you feel it? <laughs> it's a twelve Kaban, the red crystal earth. And it's kin number seventy seven. So here's the mantra for today. Well, let's look at their, their keyword here. Kaban is the earth, and it represents evolution, synchronicity, and navigation. And the 12 tone is the crystal tone, and re- represents universalizing, cooperation, and dedication. So here's the mantra for today. I dedicate in order to evolve, universalizing synchronicity. I feel the matrix of navigation with the crystal tone of cooperation. I am guided by the power of universal water. So that guiding power, universal water, can you guess? (laughs) That's Maluk, the red moon. And... uh, I am an act, I'm a galactic activation portal. Enter me. So there you go. That's, that's an, this portal day is in, in the occult power today is the yellow seed. So that's the energy we work, work with in this cycle this evening while we're here. We're working with that seed energy. And our ally today is the white wind. White ish. And the challenge teacher today is the blue hand, the healing hand, Monique. Um, So there you go. That's the destiny chart for today. And let's look at this um, Kaban energy a little bit closer. This is a healing aspect, and our work with this energy is is as that keeper of the earth and our awareness of Earth's energy. So stay tuned in and listen and show up. <laughs> As we have these gifts from this energy, is that access to planetary harmony and being that balancing point. So we work with that. We work with our intuition, with this energy, and we let go of any separation 
any failure to read the signs, any dissociation as we embrace these energies. And then moving on to manana tomorrow, Saturday, this is the uh, 6th of January, so it's Tiffany Day, and we're playing with that energy of the 13 etzav. So it's the white cosmic mirror. It's that promise of change as we complete this wave of Kimi. And we get the epiphany with it, so nothing like a cosmic day for an epiphany. And <laughs> and, and it also is... is, is um, TJ's birthday, and he he is our um, BBS operator tonight, part of the team here, and just about every Friday night. So and he's, he's going to be celebrating his birthday by the time we're done with the evening. So we wish him a happy birthday. And we got this white cosmic mirror energy, so Etnob. It's a warrior aspect, and this is where we work on our groundedness and that wise use of honesty, that self-understanding. It brings the gifts of scrying the unseen, that fluidity and persistence. So we let go of any illusion of separateness, any fear, any abandonment. As as we embrace these energies on Saturdays and celebrate Epiphany. Uh, (laughs) As we do so, I like celebrating Epiphany. I, I always called it Little Christmas, and this is when... I'd always exchange friends with our uh, gifts with our friends and you know in, in in college and so forth, you know. So it's always a special day. I like epiphany. And let's see, yeah, moving on to Sunday, it's the one co-op. So we start a new wave, the wave of the storm. It's the blue magnetic storm. And the guidance for this wave is it's is the storm energy is a time of possibility and transformation, so I sure we'll make the most of it as we begin this wave on Sunday. It's the seventh of January, which is our sister Marita's birthday, and I think she turns ninety on this day. So a shout out to her and <laughs> for uh making that milestone. And so what else is happening with Kowak? Let's look at this energy um, on on uh, Sunday, this, this seventh. It's a visionary aspect in the beginning of this way. So we're, this is the energy we're going to be carrying for this next two weeks call, starting on, on Sunday. So we're working with this, the visionary aspect of the storm, and it's about creating transformation for others. And it's also about lighting clear thoughts. So we do our work and we embrace these gifts of that possibility of freedom and that power of catalyzing that that comes with this energy. So let's let go of any addiction to crisis, despair, or fear, or any illusion of separateness as we embrace these energies for this way <clears throat> and that possibility of transformation. Let's do it. <laughs> And so then moving on to Monday, it's a three niche, which, no, it's a three a how, excuse me, wait a minute, it's a two a how, I'm sorry, <laughs> I apologize, two a how, I'm getting ahead of myself, the yellow lunar sun and the how energy is another healing aspect, and it's about rising to Christ consciousness, so we're 
we're striving towards wholeness and and we're transmitting energy to others with this with this energy. So let's embrace these gifts of possibility thinking, the gift of unconditional love, and the God self. Embrace our God self. And so let's let go of any limitation or any separation as we embrace these energies on Monday. And it's that lunar tone, so we're working with the moon and the sun at the same time. <laughs> and that lunar energy is the is that polarity and balancing the polarity. So very powerful day as we work with it, all those aspects. And then on Tuesday, we start a new union. And so that's back at the beginning with a a three Emish, the red electric dragon. And so the dragon is that first glyph in the, on the wheel and it's an artist aspect so it's about creation it's about <clears throat> self-dependence and trusting in the universe and it's about clarity of mind know what you want <laughs> be clear as we embrace these gifts of being that source of creation and the beginning so we embrace beginner's mind Let's let go of any illusions of lack of support as we embrace these energies on Tuesday and begin this new union. I believe the fifth union of this matrix. So um, let's see. Let's look at this. Uh, Moving on then. That's where we're at for Wednesday. It's a four each the white self-existing wind. And so we have that self-existing energy of four tones. It's the four each. And that self-existing energy is um, it's like structure. It's creation in itself as, as well as that structure of the four. And it's the four directions and the four seasons and all that. So that... <clears throat> Four energy is there with its visionary aspect of each, the wind. So let's embrace these, this, uh, the work of being that co-creator of heaven on earth and, and working with the truth in all matters and remembering the unity we have with spirit. So we embrace these gifts of having that voice of spirit and and spirit working through us so let's just let go of any judgment of others or any secretiveness as we embrace these energies and these gifts on on wednesday and then on thursday and this is the 11th of january so it's also a portal day and so we have that with the blue overtone night it's a five ball. The night energy is another artist aspect, and it's about our participation and our belief in our abundance. And it's about our learning from dream time as well. So let's embrace these gifts of that, having that protection of the night and being that mystery of life that we are in that mystery of the night. So let's let go of any self-judgment or any withdrawal as we embrace these energies. and. Also, it's a new moon, 
And it's a portal day because it's an 11, 1, 1, 1. And then all that adds up with the 8 to a 1. So that means it's an 11, 11 day. <laughs> it's definitely a strong portal day for that new moon energy. Let's set our intentions for this moon cycle as we do our work on Thursday and celebrate that moon. That new moon is at 6.57 Eastern time, so adjust that for your local time so you know when that is. So Eastern time is 6.57 a.m. in the morning. It's a good way to start the day on Thursday with that 1-1 energy, 11-11 energy. And then on Friday when we come back, um, it's that con energy, the yellow rhythmic seed, and it's a six con, that rhythmic tone. So that's activating um, that activating energy of two threes, and that uh, the seed is all about. Oh my goodness, those seeds are all tucked in and beginning their life right now as we pass the winter solstice. That's the the birth of the seeds underground as they begin their cycle. So we we give homage to that on this day as well. As we work with this healing aspect of the seed, we're working with our openness to life, our self-determination. We're working with harmony seeking, and we're working with timing. So we embrace the gifts of possibility and that potential of creation with this energy in that sixth tone, with that rhythmic cycle going right in there, very active. Let's let go of any stagnation, any lack of self-confidence, or any hesitation as we embrace these energies. On Friday, we'll talk about it some more next Friday when we get there. So that is the record of days for the week ahead. And, yeah, remember, today is a portal day that we have this week, and Thursday is another portal day in our other calendar. So we're working with those two kinds of portals. Um, <laughs> there's a portal day every day if you want it. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, that's a good day, the 12th. I'll be getting on the flight system again, so I'll be taking off. Anyway, that's the week ahead, and I want to change my hat now as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's all of us that make it happen, so I want to talk about the housekeeping and what it is we need and how much we need and how do we how we make a donation. So let's see. What we need, yeah, for this week, I mean, for the month of January, we need $259 each week. We had $34 carryover from... Uh, last month, and so that means all we need this month is $225 uh, for our expenses for this week. So here's how we make a contribution to our account at BBS Radio. You want to go into your heart space, see what is yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com on your computer or your handset, and you'll see there on the homepage at BBS radio.com there's a schedule right at the top first thing listed click on that schedule and you'll look and you'll see the schedule for radio station one you'll find our two programs there at the eight o'clock hour in central time and um 
So look up the 8 o'clock hour for Thursday and Friday. And Thursday is the night at the round table with the panel. Friday is this program. The hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Roma. There's an icon for each one of those listings. As you click on that icon, it takes you directly to our account with BBS Radio where you can make that donation in any amount. Very simple. Easy peasy, nice and easy. So let's let's know how to do it. Good. And then on Saturdays, you'll see that in the BBS Radio Station 2 listing. On Saturday at the 3.30 hour is the the, um, true history history of Nisera, our galactic origins with Tara and Lama. So as you click on that icon, takes you to our account, make that donation. Thank you for taking that action. We are so grateful for all the ways you show up in your life, and we're grateful that you choose this as one of the ways. <laughs> so lots of gratitude. Thank you for your generosity. And may you receive and return many, many times fold. So we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And uh, this week, they they have two bills that need to be paid, and one of them is the Dish Network bill, and it's $156.52. And then the gas bill is also necessary and needs $89.91. So that's what they're needed for those two bills. So basically, ninety dollars for one and one sixty for the other. That's like two hundred and fifty dollars for bills. And then they also, um, oh, they have an emergency need for an an ink cartridge for their printer, which is fifty six dollars and eighty nine cents, and they may need that ASAP. Or PDQ is what the what the term was tonight. <laughs> so, yeah. So as as anybody can go ahead and shoot that over to their account, they they'd be able to go ahead and get that. Uh, so go to that PayPal account, and here's how you get to their PayPal account. They also, before I go there, though, I want to tell you they need two hundred dollars for their living expenses, and that's for their gas and their food, and all the supplies that they need other than that ink, ink cartridge. That, <laughs> so that's that's what keeps them, keeps them on the road and making it happen uh, with with their bellies and keep them full. So there you go. That's what they need, 200 and then um, 240 and another sixty, so three hundred dollars altogether. But that one that is needed right in that right now is fifty six to eighty four, or is it eighty nine? Eighty nine, fifty six eighty nine for that ink cartridge. That's really necessary to get. So if someone could just pick up the the stick on that one. That'd be awesome. So we can get that happening. They keep their archives with that print ink, and those archives are important for. <laughs> Whatever happens <laughs> that might be important for, um, I'd say it's for that book, but I don't know if you take books into your next dimension or not. Um, so the pro- prosperity, <laughs> there you go. We need those archives. So thank you for your participation. Here's how I make a donation to Tar and Rama. You want to go to the web address for Rainbow Roundtable. And so that address is rainbowroundtable.net. 
And uh, as you go to that site, you'll see a donate link on the home page. On the right-hand side, on the bar across the top, on the computer, and on the menu grid, it's near the bottom of the list if you click on the menu grid on another device. So that's where you find it. You can also find that link on the updates, but that you want that link to donate, it takes you to the PayPal account where you can make a donation in any amount using your bank card. And as you would like to, and we prefer, but it doesn't matter in the long run, we appreciate all your donations, but the friends option is easy to do. You have to put in the uh, email that goes with this site to do the gifting. Uh, so if you put in that email, that email address is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And that gives you that gifting option. And if you have any doubts about it, you can always check the help section to find out exactly how to gift. But uh, once you, you're checked into it, it pretty much comes up automatically. So that's that web, that's that email address that you need to access that friends option. I'll give it again, Koran9999 at hotmail.com. And then as you're sending something, please let Rama know that you sent something. And his email address is Koran999 at comcast.net. And just let him know what you sent and when you sent it so he can make his plans around that and uh, and then as you need it the mailing address is Rom D. Berkowitz R-A-M D. Berkowitz B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z Post Office Box 280280 and that's in Santa Cruz New Mexico Zip 87567 so, Post Office Box 280, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. And there you have it. All the information. We are so grateful for all of your lives and for, for joining us here as the family that we are. And we are grateful for your generosity and, and showing up in that way. Lots. So, 13 thank yous and honey in the heart and happy new year. Long life. <laughs> No evil, and I'm passing this talking stick, and it's got a Tiffany all over it. <laughs> it's an Tiffany stick. It's, it's ready. And so that Excalibur sort of truth is there, absolutely. And all of the angels and the rays and the healing rays and lots of, lots of fairies and feathers of the season all over the place. And all the little people... Um, and the Manahoonies and the gnomes and and Sasquatch and dragons and unicorns and the other magical beasts of the neighborhood. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here it comes. It's fully loaded. <sighs> Happy Epiphany. Oh, greetings. Oh, it's Annapolis. They go right back to those. Oh. Hello. Hello. Sorry, everybody. Greetings. <laughs> Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, and Thank you, everyone. Yes, uh, tomorrow is the Feast of the Epiphany, and that's the, the story of the three kings coming to vi visit 
the newborn baby Jesus. <laughs> and so uh, TJ was born on that day. Yes. Uh, so uh, I'm sure your family all were there and maybe some of the extended family came to visit the baby TJ. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, TJ. It's an honor to be uh, hanging out with you yes. every Friday and many more, many more good days of birthdays to you. And, um, so where are we? We're at, uh, oh, we better start with something we want Rama wants to play. Uh, oh, maybe I should read the update real quick first. Okay. Right, Rama? Yeah. Um, oh, you're welcome, TJ. Yes, big happy face there. Yes, you're so welcome. And many more welcome. Okay. Get up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is the um, Rama says here. I went. I went up the mountain this morning by the Hyde Park turnoff. That's not too far from the top of the mountain. Couple, couple of turnoffs. Yeah. Down the mountain, but uh, yeah. So anyway. At 10.35 a.m., so he was up there about 9,000 feet at least. Yes. Yeah, that's high. Anyway, it was uh, 10.35. It was right in the middle of the morning. 28 degrees. 28 degrees at mid-morning. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was, wasn't it? Was that what it was up there, or was that where it was down in Santa Fe? It was in colder Santa up there, and, and it was, it was a lot colder, colder up, up there. there. Yeah, yeah. There I saw ten a ten foot two. What two ten foot tall blue and purple diamond shaped beings? People were taking pictures from the roadside of these beings who were moving from the forest uh, farther back in the mountain there from the road, but they were moving toward the road. As these beings got closer to the people by the road, the people jumped back into their cars and took off up the road toward the top of the mountain. I stayed and just sat in my driver's seat, pulled out my crystals, and started spinning them toward the beings. These beings created the symbol of the Om in the air. The sense I got from them is that they were saying to me, Lord Rama, it's time to focus on the sacred sounds that can heal Mother Gaia. Then I received a text message from Darby Odell. He said to me, Lord Rama, I am here in Glastonbury, Scotland. I am meeting with a group of wizards who are connected with the Council of Nine on Sirius A. It could be Sirius B. You got to get those details, Rob. You know that. Yes. 
Well, okay, so we have a question mark. Okay. So tomorrow you find out. Yes. All right. <laughs> Serious either A and or B are both. Yeah, could Who be knows? both. The Wizards, this is uh, Darby talking. The Wizards, my friends, the Wizards, are telling me that the Council of Nine has been telling them, quote, it is time for our arrival on Earth. Oh, there they are. Magic is afoot. Goddess is alive. See you the light of the most radiant ones. Hot now, namaste, blaze the violet fire. Okay. So Ron is going to play this. This piece is 10 minutes. This is Graham Hancock reading uh, Thoth's prophecy for, from the Hermetic text, The Rebirth of the Cosmos. And it's not like it's an old story. No, it's... It's all time is present. Yeah, here so we go. So we're just going to apply it to the conditions we've got right now. Come a time when it will have been in vain that Egyptians have honored the Godhead with heartfelt piety and service, and all our holy worship will be fruitless and ineffectual. The gods will return from earth to heaven. Egypt will be forsaken, and the land which was once the home of religion will be left desolate, bereft of the presence of its deities. We, uh, we live at a crossroads. There's no doubt. We all feel it. We all know it. I don't think it's the first time that mankind has stood at such a crossroads. But here we are now facing it and hopefully dealing with it. I'm going to close with a reading from the Hermetica, from the Hermetic texts. Hermes was the Greek version of the ancient Egyptian god Thoth. The Romans knew him as uh, Mercury. And uh, in a dialogue, the Hermetica, many of them are dialogues between Thoth, Hermes, and various pupils of his. And in one called the Asclepius, uh, a lament is presented. And it's like a prophecy. It's a bit like the Mayan prophecy. Egypt seems to stand as a metaphor for the whole world in this. And to my mind, for the world in our time, this lament, this prophecy is speaking directly to us. So it's Hermes speaking, and he's saying to Asclepius this. Do you know, Asclepius, that Egypt is an image of heaven? Or to speak more exactly, in Egypt, all the operations of the powers which rule and work in heaven are present in the earth below. In fact, it should be said that the whole cosmos dwells in this our land, as in a sanctuary. And yet, since it is fitting, that wise men should have knowledge of all events before they come to pass. You must not be left in ignorance of what I will now tell you. There will come a time when it will have been in vain that Egyptians have honored the Godhead with heartfelt piety and service, and all our holy worship will be fruitless and ineffectual. The 
gods will return from earth to heaven. Egypt will be forsaken, and the land which was once the home of religion will be left desolate, bereft of the presence of its deities. O oh, Egypt, Egypt, of thy religion nothing will remain but an empty tale, which thine own children in time to come will not believe. Nothing will be left but graven words, and only the stones will tell of thy piety. And in that day men will be weary of life, and they will cease to think the universe worthy of reverent wonder and worship. They will no longer love this world around us, this incomparable work of God, this glorious structure which he has built, this sum of good made up of many diverse forms, this instrument whereby the will of God operates in that which he has made, ungrudgingly favoring man's welfare, this combination and accumulation of all the manifold things that call forth the veneration, praise, and love of the whole Darkness will be preferred to light, and death will be thought more profitable than life. No one will raise his eyes to heaven. The pious will be deemed insane, the impious wise, the madman will be thought a brave man, and the wicked will be esteemed as good. As for the soul, and the belief that it is immortal by nature, or may hope to attain to immortality, as I have taught you, all this they will mock, and even persuade themselves that it is false. No word of reverence or piety, no utterance worthy of heaven will be heard or believed. And so the gods will depart from mankind, a grievous thing, and only evil angels will remain, who will mingle with men, and drive the poor wretches into all manner of reckless crime, into wars and robberies and frauds and all things hostile to the nature of the soul. Then will the earth tremble and the sea bear no ships. Heaven will not support the stars in their orbits. All voices of the gods will be forced into silence. The fruits of the earth will rot. The soil will turn barren and the very air will sicken with sullen stagnation. All things will be disordered and awry. All good will disappear. But when all this has befallen Asclepius, then God, the creator of all things, will look on that which has come to pass and will stop the disorder by the counterforce of his will, which is the good. He will call back to the right path those who have gone astray, he will cleanse the world of evil, washing it away with floods, burning it out with the fiercest fire, and expelling it with war and pestilence. And thus he will bring back his world to its former aspect, so that the cosmos will once more be deemed worthy of worship and wondering reverence. And God, the maker and maintainer of the mighty fabric, will be adored by the men of that day with continuous songs of praise and blessing. Such is the new birth of the cosmos. It is a making again of all things good, a holy and awe-inspiring restoration of all nature. And it is wrought inside the process of time by the eternal will of the Creator. I don't know whether we're going to face some terrible global catastrophe or not. I certainly hope not. I hope it will not come down to misery and horror awful, awful things. There's enough of that in the world already. But I do remember 
what all the ancient texts say. There isn't a single flood myth, there isn't a single story of the destruction of past civilizations that don't implicate humanity in the story somewhere. Our own behavior, what we do, is part of what we're bringing down on the world right now. We are what we are, what we are manifesting in the world. That is what is coming towards us. We are the authors of this thing, and we can change the story if we want to change it. I firmly believe that. Are we looking at the traces of a forgotten episode in human history? I think so. I think that's that's what's going on here. And because we've forgotten it, because we are a species with amnesia, because we are so much a mystery to ourselves, perhaps it's because of that that we're so lost and so troubled today, so haunted by the sense of something missing, something that we need to know uh, about ourselves. For the ancient Egyptians, the essential mystery of human existence concerned our spiritual essence, um, that we are participating in this theater of experience that we call life and the world in, in an immense endeavor aimed at the perfection uh, of the soul. I've talk, talked with shamans uh, in the Amazon, and when I've asked them, what, what do you think is the problem with the world? What, what's the problem with the West? They say it's, it's very simple. You've severed your connection with spirit. You've cut the link. And you have to restore that link if you're going to move forward from here. You can't, you can't move forward from the place you're in if you don't restore the connection to spirit. And that seems to me the most, the most fundamental task uh, that, that all of us now, now face. Not these exterior trappings of power that have brought such horror and misery to the world. This is the moment of crossroads that we stand at. None of us can effect changes on a macro level. It's impossible to do so. Um, but we can make changes on a micro level. We can make changes in our own lives. We can make changes in our immediate surroundings. Changes for the better. Changes driven by love. <laughs> so overwhelming is the notion of, of, of global destruction. No, I can't stop that. But I can stop what I'm doing to contribute to it. And if we all do that, then I believe a huge change in consciousness will come and the world can move on and we can look forward to a future for our children and our children's children and once again bring this bright, beautiful, jewel garden of a planet, bring it back to the place it should be in our lives.
Oh, wonderful. I guess we'll, uh, we'll just go to our conference call. Rama, give us the numbers. Uh, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. And I just want to thank Graham Hancock for doing that right now. It's really appropriate to me. And uh, calling all angels is the Starfleet command. Yes. It's time for love. It's time for peace. It's time for Nasara now. Ditto. <laughs> so we'll see you on the conference, everyone. And we'll be right back here at BBS Radio Station 2 at the top of the following hour. So, Satnam for now. See you there. Namaste.
Precious Heart, thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. This is our first vlog in our new series titled, From the Company of Heaven, The Next Step. You are powerful beyond your knowing, and the next step of that profound truth is being revealed to humanity by the company of heaven now. 
Dear Ones, 2024 is going to be a glorious new year, in spite of whatever challenges may arise. Even in the midst of what often seems like extreme adversity, people everywhere are remembering who they are and why they have embodied on earth during this auspicious time. The sacred knowledge from the heavenly realms that we at Era of Peace are sharing with awakening humanity has been offered free of charge since 1968 to anyone who has the heart call to receive it. This incredible gift from on high is being given to humanity by our sisters and brothers in the realms of illumined truth. They are sons and daughters of God, just like you and me. However, these beings of light have evolved to a much higher level of consciousness. They are like college professors compared to you and me, who are more like kindergarten students in the overall scheme of things. These beings are selfless messengers of our Father, Mother, God, who have come through the veil to meet us halfway because of the need of the hour. They are communicating with humanity now through intuitive, open heart and mind telepathic communication. We were always supposed to have access to this assistance and this guidance from on high. However, when we fell into the dense and discordant frequencies of separation and duality eons ago, we lost the ability to reach up in consciousness into the realms of illumined truth. Since that fateful time, we have been weeping and wailing through our valley of tears, struggling to accomplish our divine plans through trial and error. Now, everything has changed. During the past several decades, the adverse effects of our horrific fall from grace have been gradually reversed and transmuted back into light. This was accomplished through the unified efforts of awakening humanity and our sisters and brothers in the heavenly realms. Through myriad activities of light, the veil of Maya, which pulsated with the humanity's grossly mutated human miscreations, has been incrementally purified and cleansed. Now the company of heaven no longer needs to come through the veil to meet us halfway. Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her have gradually ascended up the spiral of evolution into frequencies of vibration that are allowing our I am presence to take command of our earthly bodies. As this occurs, Inner guidance from our I am presence is received easily through our intuition and open heart and mind telepathic communication. This means that by simply asking our I am presence to take command of our feelings, thoughts, words, and actions, 
this loving aspect of our own divinity is able to guide us unerringly. At long last, the sacred knowledge from the realms of illumined truth is available to each and every person who is willing to ask, to listen, and to open our heart and mind to the infinite possibilities. It also helps immensely if we daily stay focused on the light and do whatever it takes to raise our energy, vibration, and consciousness. Through our I am presence, we can also directly communicate with the various beings of light in the realms of illumined truth. We have recently experienced a monumental shift within our system of worlds. We now have access to new realms of light and assistance from beings of light that were previously far beyond our vibrational reach. These beings exist in the system of our grand central sun, which now embraces Mother Earth and our entire system of worlds. These beings of light have been patiently waiting for Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her to reverse the adverse effects of our fall from grace so that we could reclaim our rightful place in this system of worlds. Now that this has been God victoriously accomplished, these powerful beings of light are standing in readiness. They are awaiting our invitation to give them permission to intervene in our lives in positive ways that will greatly assist us in our ascension process. This is a brief reminder of the various classifications of the legions of light associated with all of the systems of worlds Mother Earth abides in, including our grand central sun. The beings of light, whom I often refer to as the company of heaven, consist first and foremost of the all-encompassing present of our omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent Father, Mother, God, the cosmic I am, all that is. This is the divine presence from which every single atomic and subatomic particle and wave of life throughout the whole of creation is birthed. It is within this body of our Father, Mother, God that all life lives, moves, breathes, and has its being. The body of God is the all-encompassing divine matrix or the unified field that science has finally recognized. All of the other beings of light are considered sons and daughters of God. These sons and daughters of God are known through all creation by various titles, depending on their level of consciousness and their selfless service to life. 
There are crowns, thrones, principalities, solar logos, the mighty Elohim, cosmic beings, galactic beings, archangels, seraphim, cherubim, and all graded orders of angels. There are ascended masters, the galactic federation of light, and the I am presence of every evolving son and daughter of God throughout the whole of creation. There are also those associated with the elemental kingdom. There are the directors of the elements, air, water, earth, fire, and ether, as well as the sylphs of the air, the undines of the water, the nature spirits of the earth, the salamanders of the fire, and the devas and devarajas of the ethers. All of these beings of light, including the legions of light associated with the new system of worlds we now have access to through our grand central sun, are standing in readiness awaiting humanity's heart call and our invitation to help us during this wondrous but often tumultuous time. The assistance from these beings of light will be given to us in perfect alignment with our divine plans and the highest good of all concerned. They will never interfere with our free will by intervening in our lives without an invitation and permission from our I am presence. The information that is being given to humanity by the beings of light in the realms of illumined truth at this time is not intended to dispute our present belief systems or to tell us that what we believe is wrong. They have all been guided by our I am presence through the lessons and learning experiences we need in order to bring us to this point in our evolutionary process. Now it is time for all of us to take the next step. The divine intention of this information is to enhance what we already know. It is designed to give us greater clarity and understanding so that we will recognize at a much higher level what is happening on earth and in our personal lives. This will enable each of us to remember who we are and why we are here during this very cosmic moment. All of the information that I am sharing is from the beings of light in the realms of illumined truth. However, even having said that, I do not want you to ever accept something as truth just because somebody told you it is true. I would like for you to contemplate this information as food for thought. Then take the information into the divinity of your heart flame and ask your I am presence to reveal to you the truth contained in these celestial sharings. 
ask how you can utilize this information to help you fulfill your divine plan and to accelerate your ascension process. Anything that does not resonate as truth, just let it go. If I am sharing something that is important for you to know in order for you to fulfill your divine plan, but it does not resonate as truth for you just yet, I promise you, your I am presence will keep presenting that information to you in gentle and loving ways over and over again until you are able to accept it. This is a new beginning, and the request to share this information has come from on high. This information is being received through the unified efforts of heaven and earth and will pave the way for a new level of awakening within the heart and mind of anyone who feels the heart call to receive it. I am deeply honored to share this information with you and together we will fulfill our divine plans and assist the earth and all life evolving upon her as we co-create the immaculate concept of the newly elevated patterns of perfection for the new fifth dimensional crystalline solar earth in 2024. Precious heart, I want to thank you for volunteering to be born during this auspicious time on planet Earth. God bless you for your willingness to be the open door that no one can shut as the light of God flows into the mental and emotional strata of this planet to bless humanity and all life evolving on this sweet earth. Dear one, God bless you. I look forward to being with you next week. Searching around here and get yourself settled in for a meditation. With Steve Nobel, everybody. All right. Here we go. Thank you.
dissolving negative thought forms transmission. And this transmission is aimed at destroying all negative thought forms, whether projected to you or picked up somehow in the 3D matrix. And thought forms can attach or merge with your energy fields. They may be seen as clouds or bubbles of gray, brown or muddy energies. So open body, open mind. And as always, focusing on the cycle of breath. The in-breath is the invitation of light from the universe around you into the core of your physical body. The bones, the blood, the cells. Anywhere you are holding lower frequency energies in the physical body, on the out-breath, purge and release, sending it back to the horizon, back to the great star nation releasing it from your physical body. Allowing more space for your own soul's light in the physical body. And following that cycle of breath. The in-breath is the invitation of light into the emotional body. A field of energy that surrounds and penetrates the physical body. Anywhere you are holding emotional energy that doesn't belong to you. On the out-breath, purge and release, sending it back to the light, back to the universe. Allowing more space for your own soul's light in the emotional body. And following that cycle of breath, on the in-breath, the invitation of light from the universe around into the mental body. a fluid field of energy that surrounds and penetrates the emotional and physical bodies. Anywhere you are holding other people's thoughts, ideas, belief systems, mental limitations, on the out-breath, purge and release, sending them back to the light, back to the universe. Allowing more space for your own soul's light in the mental body. So following that cycle of breath. The in-breath is the invitation of light into all of your energy bodies. And the out-breath is the purging and releasing of lower energies. To allow more space for your own soul's light in your energy fields and physical body. 
and as you follow that cycle of breath I call your teams in spirit of the highest light and resonance your higher selves from the sixth dimension to the twelfth dimension your oversoul the monadic self all 5d to 12d helpers guides archangels angels ascended beings working with you star brothers and sisters working with you star councils working with you come be with you now and just inviting that connection And as you do this, let me call the Archangels of the Horizontal Plane, beginning in the East with Raphael, Archangel of Air, Archangel of the Mind, Archangel of Mental Structures. The symbol is a crystal wand, and the energy is emerald green fire. As you focus on the wand, inviting that fire into your field, to hold your space, to hold your space. To the south is Michael, Archangel of the Element of Fire, Archangel of the Sun. The symbol of this angel is a sword of flaming blue light. And the energy is electric blue fire. As you focus on the sword, inviting that fire into your space to hold your space, to hold your space. To the west is Gabriel, Archangel of Water. Archangel of Emotions. The symbol is a silver chalice and the energy is diamond white fire. As you focus on the chalice, inviting that fire into your field to hold your space, to hold your space. And the fourth and final angel of the horizontal plane is Uriel, Archangel of Earth, of physical structures, including the body. The symbol is a golden pentacle, and the energy is ruby red fire. As you focus on that pentacle, inviting that fire into your space, to hold your space, to hold your space. Four archangels, four energies, and open.
and let's call on the vertical force angels, Metatron and Sandalphon. Beginning with Metatron from the great central sun, calling that angel down and the ascension grid, a golden white fiery grid, down from the great central sun, down into the stargate of our sun, And through that stargate into the earth plane, this ascending dimension of the earth. Into the structure of the building around you, into the walls, the floor beneath your feet, into the foundations of the building. into the ceiling above your head, into all windows, doors, sealing off the space from lower force interference. to the below space is Sandalphon of the crystalline grid of the earth, inviting that crystalline grid up, diamond white light up into the foundation of the building you're in, merging with golden white fire from the great central sun. towards the space you're in, the floor beneath your feet, up to the chakras in your feet, up to your legs, up to your base chakra. Grounding your energy into the earth. Metatron and Sandalphon opening up the inner channel between crown and base, crown and base, and breathe and open. Call upon your higher self, the angels working with you and guides, particularly Archangel Raphael, to assist you now in opening your heart to feeling the energy around you, what's happening around your energy field.
Just allow your heart to open with angelic light. Let's ask your higher self, the angels and guides to assist you in opening your sacral chakra in the belly area. So that you can start to sense energy around you from the belly. So heart and belly opening. And let's ask your higher self angels and guides to open your third eye so that you can begin to see energy within your energy fields and around you. So opening third eye, heart and sacral to sensing and seeing energy feeling energy and ask now to see feel or sense if any thought forms have attached or merged with your energy fields Any clouds or bubbles or shapes of grey, brown or muddy energies. Anything originating from within your family. Or anything originating from your ancestral lines. Or anything you picked up from any 3D system such as education corporate, legal, financial or government. Anything you may have picked up from the internet, especially concerning what a 3D person would call conspiracy theory. Begin to see, feel or sense anything around you attaching or seeking to attach to your energy fields. And as you do so, call on violet and ultraviolet fire angels to come and begin to burn anything touching or attempting to touch your energy fields. Sending a brilliant violet to brilliant ultraviolet fire into the core of anything trying to touch you.
just breathe and focusing your energy on sending this violet ultraviolet fire into the very core of anything of a lower frequency seeking to touch you. this is happening let's call on Raphael all angels and ascended beings working with Raphael to begin to destroy the underlying structure that holds the thought form together whatever the underlying structure is whether that structure is about conflict or hate or grief or stress, or argument, or war, doing this with emerald green fire, beginning to destroy the underlying structure, breaking it apart like a balloon. to begin to dissipate violet fire ultraviolet fire emerald green fire is the core of any negative thought form touching you or seeking to touch you breaking it apart allowing more light in your space a great clearing in your energy fields, releasing anything of a mental and also emotional nature, touching you, influencing you or seeking to influence you. this is happening I call on Metatron and Raphael to create a sphere of green golden light above your crown chakra perhaps the size of a basketball just allowing a sphere of green gold light to form above your crown chakra allowing it to intensify
and at a certain point it begins to descend through the central channel down through the crown clearing and burning anything that a thought form might seek to attach to in the crown and then down in the inner channel clearing the channel between crown and third eye and into third eye with gold green light clearing crown channel third eye clearing the head of all interferences and down into the channel between third eye and throat clearing anything in the channel allowing this green gold light into the throat clearing the throat all layers levels and dimensions just allowing that sphere of green gold light to continue the descent all the way down your field down to heart clearing the space between throat and heart and all layers levels dimensions of your heart clearing down into your solar plexus and clearing the channel between heart and solar plexus your sacral clearing all layers that was dimensions and clearing the space between solar plexus and sacral and down to the base clearing all layers there was dimensions and clearing the space between sacral and base allowing this green gold light through the whole central channel from crown all the chakras down to the base allowing this gold green light also to begin to clear anything in your nervous system that a thought form might seek to attach to especially anything created through trauma of any kind Thank you. 
breathing and opening as this process continues. Let's ask your higher self and the angels to reveal to you if anyone or any group is projecting a negative thought form towards you. Just breathe and open and see if anyone comes to mind or if any group comes to mind. It is also possible on the spiritual path that energies can be projected from other lifetimes. And if so, those groups may have a vague feeling about them, as if they're projecting from a distance. Whatever you see, sense or feel, Ask that violet, ultraviolet fire angels begin to burn and destroy all negative thought form projections towards you. Burning and clearing and releasing and also asking Raphael, all angels and ascended beings working with Raphael, to destroy the underlying structure of the projection. destroying, breaking it apart, neutralizing it. And as this is happening, let's ask Metatron and Raphael to create a shield of green gold light between you and this person or this group to protect you from this negative projection. Feeling yourself safe and clear of negative projections from this lifetime or any other. And let's invite Metatron and Raphael to create a layer of green gold fire in the outer layer of your aura preventing any thought forms from attaching to you, to your energy fields. Sealing your energy fields in green gold fire. If necessary, Metatron and Raphael may create a second layer closer to your physical body for the same reason. 
Let's just invite a gentle golden white fire from the Christ grid and a gentle diamond white fire from the earth grid, the crystalline grid of the earth. To begin to feel your energy fields, releasing what needs to be released. Filling you with a gentle, loving, supportive light. Just allowing the transmission to continue, clearing and burning and releasing and shielding and sealing your field. In time, the transmission begins to decrease in intensity as the clearing is more or less done. Let's thank all ultraviolet violet fire angels for assisting you in this process. Also all angels and ascended beings working with Archangel Raphael for helping you in this transmission. Thanking all Archangels of the Vertical Force Plane, Metatron and Sandalphon. Thanking all Archangels of the Horizontal Plane, Uriel, Gabriel, Michael, and especially Raphael for assisting in this transmission. Let's thank your team in spirit, the highest light resonance. Allowing the transmission to decrease in intensity, but feeling that protective layer around you. Feeling that protective shielding if one was placed before you. This transmission is offered to you as always with love and blessings, love and blessings.
we're all servants of peace, everyone. All of us here and everywhere. <coughs> Known and unknown. <laughs> we're going to send more love to those that are a little lost. Greetings, Mother. In the, in the light. In the light. Of the most radiant one. In the office of the Christ. And only in the office of the Christ. We in love. The loving energies of Saint Germain and the Violet Flame. We invoke the loving energies, like we said, of love and also of truth and of peace. Let it begin with me inside me first. Let there be peace on earth. And let it begin with me. Freedom, justice, and beauty for all it can be. In that order. <laughs> Greetings, Mother. Greetings, children of Ra. Yes. What have you got to tell us this fine evening? Friggin' called again. Mm. Yes, sun is getting stronger each day. That's true. After winter solstice, it gets lighter every day. And the light of ten trillion suns is pouring in at this time with what's occurring on the surface of this planet. It is about accountability and justice. It is a glorious time to be alive. And at the same moment, it is a challenge. What is happening in 
Gaza. We all know. Genocide. It is about this ancient story. It's come to its twilight time. Once I got one a little wayward here. Enough already. Yes. Well, thank you, Mother. Let's do it. Let's do it. This planet is on a collision course to ascension. <laughs> it's a dichotomy, isn't it? It is a challenge to be here. And watch such samsara. Oh, Mother, it's just like it's... What? Yeah, I mean, enough. Why are they allowing this? I mean, it was said again on Amy's show today that there's way, way more people that have went over the rainbow than they're telling. They are covering it up a lot. This is... Somebody said 100,000. And they're talking that this is going to go on for the whole year. We could say this story is at its conclusion and what is happening in this particular moment? Like it's been said. Patty said it. All the folks are here. Company of Heaven included this is about us taking our power back using the wisdom that has been given to us to set things right All the forces of heaven are here, yet it is about us, we the people, holding these folks accountable. And as things are moving 
quite rapidly to conclusion. The energies pouring in at this time all it is about this completion of this cycle. Saving the day, the light pouring in at this time, it is with great joy we can say the tide has turned. We are watching the end of the story. It is not going to go for years. I would like it to. Yet, at this particular moment, Solar Cycle 25, has a lot to do with the shift at this time. At this particular moment, whatever it is to be called, Yes, Mother. There is this let's say only words we can use to describe it is the force in of itself is raising the frequencies so that all that has not been in right divine order is come full circle. This particular moment As love and compassion changes the dynamics of this story. 
war is never the answer. Because the diversity within all beings, known and unknown, <coughs> makes up the beauty of this time we are in. This is the expression of what's occurring for all life. Diversity within the oneness matters not if you are blue or green or yellow. What is highly credible is the fact that all the particles, everything that is moving in divine right order is coming about at this moment. It is quite auspicious to be in a body at this time. Don't underestimate the times we're in. Promise, Mother, we promise. <laughs> It's amazing what's going on now. The fact that you all are still here intact is a very big deal. I agree. <coughs> the light has indeed won. Our children are petrified with what's coming. And it is. They're scared of the love? In a sense, we could say affirmative because they have existed in such realms of darkness. It's, it is painful to them. Mm -hmm. And this Well, is, you know, it goes along with that no pain, no gain statement, right? Yes. Except the Buddha says pain's inevitable, suffering is optional. Yes. They don't understand love, so they think that their, you know, money and power is making them happy, but they don't even know what that word means. No happiness without 
of spiritual practice that raises you up. Drugs, sex, the uh, AI, it ain't gonna get you there. <laughs> it gives you a seat on one of those starships going to Draco's. This ancient, ancient story is pouring out more and more. How we all are daughters and sons of the Most High. It is an extreme gift to be on this planet at this time because of the ascension process that is occurring. It is tremendously huge. Like Patty said, we're in a new realm. How we work with love frequencies changes our lives. It changes those others who are not choosing love, yet they're going to get it nonetheless. It is about the nature of the experience called the shift of the ages. Darkness can no longer rule the day. Mordor's over enough. Even though it is still yet part of what we see each day, it is a gift to be here. We honor you for sticking it out. Yes, Mother, I mean, um, I'm so glad this stuck music to my ears to hear you say enough. You just need to see it now, right? And so it is. You're going to get on that screen yourself? <laughs> They wouldn't know what to do with you. <laughs> we give them a lesson in how to take a bath. <laughs> God, mother, please. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> you just want to leave it at that, huh? Yes. <laughs> 
what else is there to say? Well, I mean, they aren't going to let you do that. You know that. But it was good for fun. It is about cleaning out all the cobwebs in the consciousness. In the consciousness, yes. Padme was talking about that on the conference call. She was talking about the physical cobwebs are just going to have to wait. <laughs> they are, because the cobwebs in here got to go first before they go out there. Mm-hmm. That takes some doing when you are getting blasted with solar flares that are on. Uh, we have no words except that it is about the transfiguration. Going from living in caves to living in the sky. And all that is occurring is this exposure of this ancient story. It's time we learn how to get along with each other. Whether we have tentacles or legs or feathers or fur. Mm -hmm. Matters not. What is the crux of the matter? It's about loving kindness compassion for the moment that's occurring. There is so much that is unfolding with the Frequencies of living light, living love, pouring in, in the form of the monoatomic gold dust. It gets showered on this planet every single day. <coughs> the energy is changing our bodies our environment, every living particle is getting merged with that light. That is why it is a bit chaotic. As you've been hanging out in darkness for 26,000 years, gotta get used to the light pouring in. <coughs> I gotta adjust. We're at that moment. There is so much unfolding that is about how we are ascending 
in this moment of ecstasy. Yes. Whatever may have occurred in any space-time continuum is being dissolved at this moment. The dragons have returned. More and more folks are seeing the dragon people. They have a lot to share with this new rainbow nation that is being brought forth at this time. As we can call in the dragons, they come and will share with all Just like all the other folks from all the various realms all have a part to play in this glorious story. greatest gift right now. Focus on this light. It changes your life every single moment. I just hope, Mother, that we don't have to... Oh, we just want to end the struggle. Can we end the struggle? Indeed. It is being ended in spite of what is occurring. And, uh, including and the killing? Yes. You know that you galactic ones have to do it now. I'm just, I'm not making you... Uh, in a place of between a rock and a hard place I don't think that you're possibly going to be able to be there we're everywhere and nowhere I understand what I am saying is that it feels very much like we're helpless and this killing continues mother. and this idea that they're saying that Netanyahu's saying is going to go for the whole next year and keep killing Cancel, clear, blaze the violet fire. Words. Well, now we need to have it in physicality. So be it, and so it is. Greetings. <laughs> Greetings. The line. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Radiant one. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Savayot. 
Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai Sabayoh. Eliyahu, Eliyahu, Eliyahu. Yod Hey, Adonai Basu Baragas. Namaste. Namaste. Oh. Mother's uh, coming back somewhere around here. Hello. Well, hello, Rama. Hello. Where did you go? Mm. Oh, I was on Lady Master Athena's ship. In some kind of some kind of pond. Yes. And I think it was in Arboretum. There were green frogs and orange butterflies and it felt like heaven I could say that uh, where were you again in some kind of pond I could only describe it as a pond in Lady Master Athena's ship somewhere in the Arboretum oh you went on uh, what's the name of her ship now the dove the dove you went on on one of the decks there one of the levels yes and you went swimming I was in some kind of pond and there was green frogs orange butterflies and this pond seemed to go on forever it was huge and there was well was the pond deep did you have to know how to swim it was deep yeah, I had Well, to, you couldn't just keep on sit, swimming a lot, with dog paddling. Treading water. Dog paddling. Yeah. That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a trip. Well, it sounds like it's a sign that we're going to experience uh, a release from the bondage of these ones. Yeah. I know that word soon keeps getting worn out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how long were you able to dog paddle before you needed to take a rest? Um, it just seemed like it was, I, I don't know. I just, it. I mean, you were gone a while here, you know. Yeah. A good half hour. I would say that it felt like I had been swimming for a long time. 
have you been able to do that before now, and besides being in that other altered state? Yeah. I mean, in the physical Earth world? In the physical Earth world, yeah. I'm You're a, a good swimmer? I'm a good swimmer, yes. <laughs> that says a lot a about where I've been with you. I haven't had that experience. Yes, I passed the talking stick. <laughs> I okay, guess darling. to Amy. Yes, you got to get her on the air there. Ooh. Yes. Blaze the Violet Fire. Blaze the Violet Fire. It's not easy to hear this stuff. No, it's not. the answer mm. love is the answer yes here we go all right honey Democracy now. I'm just back in Manchester from Gaza. I'm calling for a full ceasefire to alleviate the suffering of Palestinians. I'm also calling for accountability for war, war crimes committed by Israel in Gaza, and accountability for anyone that was complicit in Israel's war crimes by funding them or supporting them politically. And ultimately, I'm looking for a, process, a political process that leads to justice and self-determination for Palestinians. As Israel intensifies its attacks on what are supposed to be safe zones in central and south Gaza, we'll speak with a Palestinian scientist who fled Gaza and just arrived in Britain, where he has dual citizenship. Then hundreds of Jewish activists and their allies shut down the California state capitol in Sacramento Wednesday to demand a Gaza ceasefire. We'll speak with one of them, a descendant of Holocaust survivors who is a former IDF soldier. My elder state family had meticulously taught me how to recognize genocide from infancy, how naked bodies get rounded up for torture and execution, how mass graves smell, how starvation and hate shakes a body, how ethnic cleansing, martyred entire lineages, and varies the wisdom of the land caretakers. The black and white images are now in color. The stories are lies. And in this cycle, we don't need gas chambers because we have U.S.-made bombs. And we'll speak with Ralph Nader, longtime consumer advocate, corporate critic, four-time former presidential candidate, about U.S. support for Israel and his new book, The Rebellious CEO, 12 Leaders Who Did It Right. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. 
In Gaza, the death toll from Israel's 90-day bombardment has topped 22,600, with another 7,000 people reported missing, presumed dead. Health officials in Gaza say Israel killed at least 162 Palestinians over the last 24 hours as the IDF intensifies its attacks on refugee camps in central and south Gaza, areas once deemed by Israel to be safe. Doctors in Gaza described horrific conditions inside the few hospitals still open. Yasser Khan is a Canadian ophthalmologist who's working in the European hospital in Khan Yunus. Almost every hour someone's coming in with an explosive injury or a serious injury. People are losing their legs, their eyes, their lives. And the people, the healthcare workers are working here 24 hours every single day with nothing, with no resources, nothing, no, no medications, uh, anesthetics, everything is out. Israeli officials have reportedly held talks with a number of African nations, including the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Rwanda and Chad, about accepting Palestinians pushed out of Gaza. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and some of his cabinet members have promoted what they call voluntary migration from Gaza. But Palestinians and human rights groups have decried the plan as ethnic cleansing. This comes as Israel's ambassador to the United Kingdom, Tsipi Hotoveli, has openly embraced destroying the whole of Gaza. She made the comment during an interview on the London radio station LBC. One of the things we realized that every school, every mosque, every second house has an access to tunnel. So this is, and, and of course, immunization. That's an argument for so, destroying the whole of Gaza, every single building in it. So do you have another solution how to destroy the underground tunnel city, that this is the place where the terrorists hide? Meanwhile, the Biden administration has criticized South Africa for filing a genocide case against Israel at the International Court of Justice. National Security Council Coordinator Admiral John Kirby was asked about the case on Wednesday. South Africa's filed this 84-page lawsuit against Israel, accusing them of genocide. Israel says that this is blood libel. Does Washington agree? And where does this put Washington in preparatory interest? find this uh, submission meritless, counterproductive, and uh, completely without any basis in fact whatsoever. In other news from Israel, an Israeli woman who was held hostage by Hamas for 51 days is calling on Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to declare a ceasefire. Aviva Siegel spoke to PBS NewsHour. But he can't keep the war, the war going and get the hostages out. He needs to keep, he needs to go to a ceasefire and then get them out. And he needs to get them out now as quick as possible. The Iraqi government is blasting the United States after a U.S. drone strike in Baghdad killed a top commander in an Iran-backed militia. An Iraqi military spokesperson described Thursday's attack as a dangerous escalation and an assault on Iraq. Mm -hmm. Pentagon spokesperson Brigadier General Patrick Ryder claimed the U.S. was acting in self-defense. This individual was actively involved in planning and carrying out attacks against American personnel. And as we've long said, we maintain the inherent right of self-defense and we'll take necessary action to protect our personnel. In Iran, funerals have begun for the 84 people killed Wednesday in a pair of bomb blasts in the city of Kharman. On Thursday, the Islamic State took responsibility. The group said two suicide bombers had attacked the crowd who were gathered near the tomb of the Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. 
The bombings occurred on the fourth anniversary of Soleimani's assassination in Iraq by the United States. In Japan, the death toll from this week's massive earthquake has risen to 94, with over 220 people still missing and feared to be trapped under rubble. Earlier today, an 80-year-old woman was pulled from the rubble more than 72 hours after the quake. Civil rights leader Al Sharpton led a protest Thursday outside the New York office of the billionaire investor Bill Ackman, who helped lead a campaign that led to this week's ouster of Claudine Gay, Harvard University's first black president. Ackman is a Harvard alum and major donor to the university who's publicly railed against Harvard and other schools for supporting DEI. That's diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Al Sharpton vowed to keep protesting outside Ackman's office. We have started these weekly one-hour protests in front of Mr. Ackerman's office. He has said that the resignation of Ms. Dr. Gay at Harvard is not the end of it. They're going to keep fighting to the end DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's the clan of war on all of us, blacks, women, gays. DEI was designed to bring fairness and equality to people that had been historically marginalized and eliminated. Sharpton was standing in front of someone holding a Haitian flag as part of his campaign to oust Claudine Gay as Harvard president. She's the daughter of Haitian immigrants. Bill Ackman helped amplify allegations that Gay had committed plagiarism in her academic work. But now Bill Ackman's wife, MIT professor Neri Oxman, is facing a plagiarism scandal of her own. Business Insider has revealed Oxman plagiarized parts of her doctoral dissertation at MIT. On Thursday, Oxman apologized and admitted making mistakes. New York City Mayor Eric Adams has sued 12 charter bus companies for $700 million, accusing them of illegally transporting over 30,000 migrants from Texas at the behest of Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Adams accused Abbott of using the migrants as political pawns. These companies have violated state law by not paying the cost of caring for these migrants. And that's why we are suing to recoup approximately $700 million already spent to care for migrants bust here in the last two years by the state of Texas. A new report by House Democrats accuses former President Donald Trump of repeatedly and willfully violating the Foreign Emoluments Clause of the U.S. Constitution. The report found foreign countries, including China, Saudi Arabia and Qatar, spent at least $7.8 million on apartments and hotels at Trump-owned properties while Trump was president. Congressmember Jamie Raskin of Maryland accused Trump of, quote, elevating his personal financial interests and the policy priorities of corrupt foreign powers over the American public interest, Raskin said. Saturday marks the third anniversary of the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. President Biden's planning to mark the anniversary by giving a speech near Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, the Revolutionary War site where George Washington and the Continental Army camped over the winter of 1777-1778, enduring harsh conditions. Meanwhile, voters in Massachusetts and Illinois have filed paperwork challenging Donald Trump's eligibility for running for office, citing the insurrection clause of the 14th Amendment. Trump is already appealing decisions in Colorado and Maine to remove him from the ballot. 
Newly unsealed documents related to the deceased convicted sex trafficker and financier Jeffrey Epstein includes a reference to reports that former President Bill Clinton once threatened Vanity Fair magazine against reporting on Epstein. One new document contains an email sent by Virginia Jufrey, who had accused Epstein of trafficking her to Prince Andrew when she was 17 years old. In the email, Jufrey writes about why she was worried about speaking to Vanity Fair. She wrote, quote, it does concern me what they could want to write about me, considering that B. Clinton walked into VF and threatened them not to write sex trafficking articles about his good friend, J.E. Former Vanity Fair editor Graydon Carter has denied the incident ever took place in Iowa. A sixth grade student died Thursday in a school shooting in the town of Perry on the first day of classes after winter break. Five other people were injured, including the school's principal. Police say the gunman was a 17-year-old student who came to school armed with a pump-action shotgun and a small-caliber handgun. Police say the shooter died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And in Berkeley, California, police raided the historic People's Park early Thursday morning, ending a long standoff between the University of California, Berkeley and community activists. There were reports at least seven people were arrested. Many unhoused people were displaced. In the 60s, People's Park was at the center of the anti-war and free speech movements in Berkeley. The UC Berkeley officials have now placed shipping containers around the perimeter of the park where the school plans to build new student housing. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We begin today's show in Gaza, where the death toll from Israel's 90-day bombardment has topped 22,600, with another 7,000 people reported missing and presumed dead. Health officials in Gaza say Israel killed at least 162 Palestinians over the last 24 hours as the IDF intensifies its attacks on refugee camps in central and south Gaza, areas deemed by Israel to be safe zones. Doctors in Gaza describe horrific conditions inside the few hospitals still open. In a minute, we'll be joined by a Palestinian man who just arrived in Britain after fleeing Gaza. Mohamed Galiani is an air quality scientist who spent nearly three months in Gaza, where he had been visiting family. He just returned to Manchester, England Wednesday, where he has dual citizenship. This is Galiani speaking at the airport after his arrival in Britain. After spending six or five days under Israel's brutal bombing, I made what was to me an impossible choice. One that I've been fearing since the beginning of the attacks, and that was to use the privilege of my British passport to leave Gaza. Um, it's a choice not available to the, the majority of Palestinians in Gaza. Uh, people who are currently suffering from malnutrition, severe dehydration, and an overwhelming public health crisis. As Israel relentlessly and openly pursues the campaign to force all the people out of Gaza, be it by death or forced relocation to Egypt. Mohamed Galayini speaking after landing in Manchester Wednesday, joining us now from Manchester, also the co-founder of Amplify Gaza Stories, which works to share voices from Gaza. Mohamed Galayini, you were in Gaza with your family. You fled first to Egypt on December 10th, and now you're home in Manchester. Can you lay out what you saw? Can you talk about Israel's bombardment of Gaza 
Hi, Amy. Thank you for having me on. Um, uh, because that's quite a quite a quite a, uh, to, a, a difficult uh, question to answer comprehensively, but I'll I'll try. Um, uh, I guess. Um, sorry, I just need to take a moment. It's 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 um. It was really um, hard to imagine things getting any worse on any particular day, but they they did keep getting worse. I think that's probably like one way one way to to look at it. Um, Can you, you know, start we, off we, by telling us where you were? We'll just go through some of the facts. Yeah, You've gone to Gaza to see your family. When did you go? I uh, traveled to Gaza on the 18th of September uh, for a extended visit, uh, both to see my family, but also to look at moving back there for work. Um, I've been out of Gaza for almost 20 years now. Um, and, um, you know, the trip was going as, I guess, as planned. On the on the morning of uh, the 7th of October, I had got up quite early to go harvest olives with my cousins. Um, and as I, as I woke up, I saw rocket trails uh, that gave me the, tip, the first tip off that something was, was off. Um, as... I guess as the rocket um, fire lasted into more than an hour, it really started becoming apparent how significant the day was. Uh, then there was a, a bombing, an Israeli aerial bombardment, uh, 50 meters from our apartment that shattered all the glass um, there. And we, um, we at that point, I started taking the decision to leave the apartment because it's actually quite close to the beach, so not a great place to be. And then, then began a succession of, uh, of displacements, uh, first to, the, to an apartment about a kilometre away, then to my father's home and IVF centre, then to a hotel in North Gaza that was supposedly a safe haven because of its, you know, shelters, journalists and aid workers. I've, I've since learned that that's been destroyed, as has my father's uh, IVF and uh, centre and home. Um, on the... 13th of October, we, you know, with bombing happening all around us, um, you know, we saw tower blocks that uh, housed thousands of people being bombarded for 36 hours. And then eventually um, they were like, brought down um, after this wanton bombardment. Uh, it, it, there was, I mean, destruction everywhere that you looked, uh, wherever you went. And um, yeah, we on the 13th of October, Israel issued a, an order to the population of, of Gaza, an illegal order, I might add, telling people to leave, to go south of Wadi Gaza, the Gaza River. And, um, you know, it set a lot of people into a panic. And anyone that had an ability to leave, uh, a lot of people left. And we were among them. It was, it was um, a, a, a very, very difficult choice then because... Um, you know, because it's like an impossible choice or a false choice between, I guess, your your safety and your home. And then, you know, if if you consider the headlines that you you were um, you were uh, you know the headline about the bombardment in areas of of Khan Yunus in the south that were deemed as in quote safe zones, uh, we found out as did hundreds of thousands of Palestinians that nowhere was actually safe in Gaza. And um, I think that's all part of this strategy of 
terrorizing Palestinians, uh, sowing deliberate confusion until people, like, at the end of their tether because they have no access to water, uh, scarce food, um, and no access to healthcare, and, the, and, and you know, people eventually are going to be asking themselves, well, well where, should we, where should we go? And, and you know, I, I truly am of the belief, and I think there is like evidence suggests that Israel is trying to push Palestinians into the Sinai. They'll deny it, and their supporters will deny it. But I, ultimately, um, Israel is a master of uh, creating facts on the ground uh, and plausible deniability, I guess. Um, I can carry on if you want, like, recounting. Well, let me ask or... you something. You're an air quality scientist. Can you talk about the air quality in Gaza with this massive level of bombardment? Um, excuse me. So, so I've got a cough now. And uh, I think throughout my time in Gaza, I had a cough. And I think the coughs are quite common right now. And, and part of that is because of the number of respiratory irritants that are in the, in the air because of the bombardment. So starting with the rubble from buildings that when it's bombed are pulverized into fine particles that uh, that every time they have a gust of wind spread in the air and create an elevated level of uh, particulate matter. But then, but it doesn't stop at rubble from buildings and other explosive residue and, and what have you, because you also have, um, because of the lack of, of power uh, right now, people are relying on alternative fuels to both, so for example, solid fuel for, for cooking is so common. So you, you walk down any street and it's thick with smoke from, from countless fires that are being lit just to substitute for gas. And then after that, because of the lack of uh, transport fuel, people are fueling their cars with, um, with cooking oil that again is not a good substitute for diesel because it has like a higher a worse emission profile that again causes, you know, untold um, public health uh, harms, and um, and I think you know those are the 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 key the key the key air quality Mohammed, can uh, issues right now. Can you talk yeah. about the Israeli so-called fire belts? The name of the rapid succession strikes that destroy whole Gaza city blocks. Yeah, it's it's really something horrific to be to behold because you know you 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 just you hear the whoosh of a jet and then you hear the the uh, you know the explosion that results from say a one ton bomb that's laid down and then you think okay is that it and then and you hear ten ten more in quick succession that just like surround or saturate a neighborhood with bombardment and people you know people have nowhere to go so you know so for example the the i i as i was saying we were in this in this location in north gaza next to, to the muhabarat towers in north gaza by the by the beach and these towers were subject to an almost 24 hour successive fire fire belts uh, some people came came to us uh, they came to seek shelter where we were and they said you know, we, we, we couldn't, we couldn't leave. We were, we were pinned down by bombing all around us. Um, and, you know, it's this massive, uh, indiscriminate use of explosive power in densely populated areas without any regard for civilian lives 
in those in those areas and it's um you know it's very it's very cynical because um you know they i mean i think initially uh, an israeli military spokesperson says we are we are seeking uh damage not accuracy uh in 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 their bombing but then they, but then at the same time they they keep saying where our strikes are very targeted and uh, and um our strikes um only focus on terrorist infrastructure or what like you know that that kind of tired terminology of of terrorism that they that they use and and then and then later on we find out that more than 50% of the munitions dropped on Gaza were not smart targeted bombs but rather just yeah so so um it's really hard i mean being in it but also just being around it and hearing no, knowing that every explosion is another family being killed and displaced and losing their home uh Mohammed, it's, it's really, really on an instagram post in early november you said really sad to hear that my dear cousin leila haddad's uncle's family have been killed by the israeli bombing of their home in gaza city um i didn't know them but feel your pain leila you write you said you acknowledge their murder on an interview with bbc5 live just now and the presenter tried to mince words that they needed to verify your response um again the ultimate slight or cynical denial of the suffering of palestinians you know on the one on the one hand we are expected to mourn and um kind of acknowledge the death of israelis and we and, and you know and, and as humanitarians we do um and expected to accept the israeli government's uh narrative of that but on the other hand palestinian suffering palestinian deaths that are much more documented uh are each one is dissected and analyzed ad infinitum to deny deny this deny the 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 genocide that is going on and I, I i will call it a, a genocide i mean i uh, it's very it, it's just it, it's the ultimate in dehumanization i'm sorry um every every time i report uh someone that i know or someone or a relative that's been that's been killed by israel i'll be asked but, but do you have do you have proof that it was israel do you have do you, you know we we can't we can't verify that surely so so, that, so we can't mention it it's 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 oh uh, horrible. 80 um, members of your extended family have died in Gaza? Yes. So uh, 15 of my mother's cousins were, were killed in their home in Khan Yunis uh, in early October. Later in October, another 10 of my mother's cousins, uh, 20 of my father's cousins, and and and, and, and others that I've, I've almost like lost lost track or lost count um and it's just we, we i mean my my coping strategy is is to is in some way to to try and, and not know but obviously you you know you can't avoid it um i think one of the most um horrific incidents that really really stood with with us though was um in late december well on the 19th of december we got the news that uh, six of my cousins along with their in-laws from the Anan family, so the Ghalayini family and the Anan family, uh, who were sheltering in, in 
the home of the Annan family in, in Gaza City. They've been surrounded by the IDF for, um, for, for a couple of days. And then the Israeli army went into the house. Um, they separated the men from the women. So like in, in, in that process in itself, in being able to separate men from women, it's telling, it's telling in terms of the level of threat or lack thereof. And then 15 of the men in the home were shot by the Israeli army. And then they also threw explosives into the rooms that the women were sheltering. And many of them were, were injured as well. Uh, this has been uh, documented or by the Euromed Human Rights Monitor. It's also been uh, a press statement was issued by the UN Office for Coordination of, Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. And the Israeli army has, has form when it comes to summary executions. They they executed their hostages as they were walking towards them, bare-chested, waving waving white flags. And and I you know I'm I'm fearful for for everyone I know that's in Gaza from from either an meeting an explosive death or a death by by trigger happy genocidal soldiers who are like drunk obviously on the power that they are wielding and also i wanted to get your response to israel's ambassador to the united kingdom where you have dual citizenship sipi hotaveli um who has openly embraced destroying the whole of gaza she made the comment during an interview on the london radio station lbc One of the things we realized that every school, every mosque, every second house has an access to tunnel. So this is, and and of course, immunization. That's an argument for destroying the whole of Gaza, every single building in it. So do you have another solution how to destroy the underground tunnel city, that this is the place where the terrorists hide? So that's the Israeli ambassador to the UK. Um, Can you first respond to Sipi Hotaveli? Of course Sophia Hotzbelli needs to be expelled from the United Kingdom. She is a purveyor of fake news that is a way of manufacturing consent for Israel's genocidal actions. And it, the UK government needs to expel her as a diplomat. She is, she is a propagandist, not a diplomat. And, um, you know, she... she is someone that is is you know provide, making making the case for Israel to continue with it with this impunity in its in its war crimes and it's all all fake news uh, with no no proof but like in the end if you have a position of power and access to the, to the media then you 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 it doesn't you you're often unchecked and unquestioned unfortunately. Um, not all media. I mean, I'm glad the presenter challenged her, but I don't think I don't know how how far the challenge went in that piece. And ultimately, um, ultimately, there's a lot of bad bad journalism going on. And I guess this is like one of the reasons why this is so important to have like independent media like Democracy Now, and also like independent um, uh, voices on social media um, of making sure that. The checks and balances when it comes to uh, political statements and propaganda are are in place. Mohammed, I want to ask you a last question. If 
You could talk about your decision when you left Gaza. You stayed in Cairo to try to readjust, uh, almost afraid to come home to Manchester. Can you talk about that transition, what you face now, what you're calling for? I mean, so um, my my heart is still in Gaza. I I did not want to leave Gaza because I knew when I was in Gaza, I knew that I could, I was there, I was present in the moment. And the only, the only um, struggle that I was facing was that of surviving and telling our story. And now I guess outside Gaza, it's, it's a much, in some ways it's, it's, it's obviously I, I'm glad to be physically safe. It's a, it's, but at the same time, I have like a very, very heavy weight of responsibility to keep honoring and amplifying the voices of like my, my country people in Gaza and, and making sure that um, we keep up the political pressure uh, to, to make sure that, you know, that first of all, there's a ceasefire and that Israel, Israel and its allies are held accountable. And so I'm so glad that South Africa has brought this case at the International Court for Justice. And, you know, I think this would not have been possible without the voices of, of millions of supporters of Palestine protesting and protesting in very, very difficult conditions, like a political, a political climate that is so hostile, that accuses you of anti-Semitism, even though it's the last thing that people are, are doing by criticizing Israel. And, and, um, and, and I think it's so important to keep up that pressure and pressure. And I'm adding my, my voice to that. And if I can, if I may, maybe just for a moment speak of Amplify Gaza stories, um, an initiative that I set up with, with, uh, friends and campaigners in, in Manchester where, you know, we, we like ultimately wanted to, we know, obviously, you know, that there's a, a narrative that's predominant in terms of uh, putting the Israeli narrative in front of the Palestinian narrative. And we felt you know, there was always space for getting more Palestinian voices out there. And uh, you know, so we did this by, I, I, I took testimony, I interviewed, interviewed people in Gaza and we translated it and got it either published on social media or on, or on in, in, in pushed it to, to other platforms. And it's something that we're continuing along with a, like a network of, of contacts in Gaza to make sure that um, the Palestinian voices are heard. And, and, and it's a two way thing as well, because we're also working on practical solidarity. Um, so for example, we have a, a, at the moment, we're raising money on a crowdfunder to support families uh, cooking uh, hot meals for their for, the, for their immediate community. So it's kind of about about ensuring that they have the means for resilience. Because I think right now, one part of Israel's strategy is is battering down the, the resilience of Palestinians, so that people are so battered and and broken that they can't like resist through their existence, and, and that's what we're trying to do to help them. There's so that. much more to talk about, Mohammed, but we have to end here. Mohammed Galayini is a British-Palestinian air quality scientist, spent nearly three months in Gaza, has just recently returned to Manchester, England. He returned on Wednesday, co-founder of Amplify Gaza Stories. Coming up, hundreds of Jewish activists and their allies shut down the California state capitol in Sacramento Wednesday to demand a ceasefire in Gaza. We'll speak with one of them 
a former IDF soldier, a descendant of Holocaust survivors, back in 20 seconds. from the Middle East and North Africa. The proceeds from the song will be donated to the Palestine Children's Relief Fund. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We continue our coverage of Gaza as we turn to California, where hundreds of Jewish activists and their allies shut down the California state capitol in Sacramento Wednesday during its first floor session of the new year to demand a ceasefire in Gaza. As chants rang out, the activists dropped banners that read, no U.S. funding for Israel's genocide in Palestine. Another banner noted California taxpayers contribute some $600 million to U.S. military aid to Israel each year. The direct action was organized by Jewish Voices for Peace, if not now, and the International Jewish Anti-Zionist Network, among others. One of the protesters was a former Israeli IDF soldier, an Israeli Defense Force soldier, who will join us in a minute from San Francisco. This is Metal Yaniv addressing their fellow demonstrators. My elders, state, family have meticulously taught me how to recognize genocide from infancy, how naked bodies get rounded up for torture and execution, how mass graves smell, how starvation and hate shakes a body, how ethnic cleansing, martyred entire lineages, and buries the wisdom of the land caretakers. The black and white images are now in color. The stories are live. And in this cycle, we don't need gas chambers because we have U.S.-made bombs. That's Metal Yaniv addressing Wednesday's protests that shut down the California State Assembly, an organizer with Shodesh, a new Israeli anti-Zionist group based in the U.S. They were born in Tel Aviv. They're a former IDF soldier, which they write about in their new book, Bloodlines. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Metal. Can you talk about why you've decided to take the stand and talk about what you did as an Israeli soldier? and your change of heart. Yes, thank you, Amy, for having me, and thank you for the work that you do. Um, so I was raised in a very, I would say, extremely Zionist uh, family, but also very common way of being raised in Israel. Um, I have a lot of um, war heroes in my family, fallen soldiers, Lehi recruiters, Air Force commanders, um, and the like, Mossad agents. Um, and as um, the child of my father, I was um, recruited into the Air Force. And um, after six months of serving, um, my base was moved from Tel Aviv 
to the south. This was 2002. And I was asked to send planes to fuel planes that were going into Gaza to bomb Gaza. Um, at that time, I didn't have the language to understand exactly what's happening. But as we returned to the base, I had my first panic attack and couldn't enter the base. And the next day I had to come and stand trial. And I was grounded to the base for three weeks. And in those three weeks, I understand that I have to leave the army. And that um, knowing at that moment um, made me want to take my life because it was so against everything I was taught. Um, and that started a process that I will be in for the rest of my life, which is the undoing of that indoctrination and that brainwashing and the way that the Israeli identity has been merged with the Zionist identity. And what I'm doing with bloodlines and, and the prayer that is bloodlines is to really bring the Israeli identity and Israeli state to a loving and caring death for the liberation of the land of Palestine. What year was that? What year did you bomb Gaza? 2002. So 2002, we're talking about 20 years. Um, and you're in a very elite group, the Israeli Air Force. Talk about that. There are actually a number of dissenters within that. For example, uh, the well-known resistor, Yonatan Shapira, um, and others. And what it means for you now to speak out and how much support you have publicly in Israel and maybe privately people who are afraid to speak out. Yeah, um, my, my need to leave the army at the time really came from, from um, like my body said no. And, and it, was, it was an elite situation. Like we all want to be in the Air Force for different reasons. We're also 18-year-olds that um, at the time, you know, we feel like that the, the Air Force has better conditions and it is considered a perk. Um, and, and leaving the army was at that time felt an impossible decision. And also there was no other decision in my body. So I had to follow that. Um, and in terms of being heard, um, I, I, I am trying to be heard as loudly as I can, because I do think that the only thing that is really unique about my experience is that I was raised extremely, um, Zionistic and have walked here to the very other shore. Um, and I remember each step and from that place, I can compassionately relate to where everyone is at. Um, but to reach voices inside Israel is, is, is extremely hard. I'm, I'm grateful to be a member of Shoresh. And, and that is kind of like the work that we're trying to do here is really um, find ways to be heard here and there. Um, yeah, I should be uh, more specific. Um, as a former IDF soldier, you were responsible for assigning planes that the Israeli Air Force sent to refuel the other planes that were bombing Gaza. Yes, that was so your job. I was, um, yeah, my job was to send basically fuel planes. But you didn't actually fly 16, those planes. I'm assuming. No, no, I was on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, so. If you can talk about the equation that some critics, pro-Israel advocates make of being anti-Zionist with being anti-Semitic. Yeah, I think that the issue here, you know, I was raised extremely Israeli, which was also meant that I wasn't raised very Jewish, 
which is also a very common thing. Um, the way that the assimilation into Israeli identity happened within my lineages uh, was to really like remove the Jewishness and really become this like Sabar heroic IDF soldier um, identity. And from that place, um, it, it it's almost impossible from that place to, um, sorry, Amy, can you repeat your question? I was just saying the, um, if you can comment on those who say to be anti-Zionist is to be anti-Semitic. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, um, from that merging, um, you know, the Zionist identity, a part of that propaganda is to really hold it within um, the cage of anti-Semitism. Like every time that we criticize Israel, someone can say you're anti-Semitic. But in reality, there's nothing anti-Semitic about criticizing Israel. Um, the, the, the merging of Israel with Judaism is something that Israel would like us to hold as a way to, to protect itself. But in reality, anti-Semitism is a very specific thing um, that, that we are not causing it and we will not undo it. And the only thing we can do is to continue to resist it. And at the same time, what Israel is doing right now has nothing to do with anti-Semitism. What Israel is doing right now is a genocide. What Israel has been doing for the past 75 years is apartheid, is occupation. Um, the techniques that are being used in the West Bank are, are, are clearly apartheid techniques that have nothing to do with anti-Semitism. So criticizing that, walking in, in streets that are only for, um, for Israelis that Palestinians are not able to walk on in Hebron, there's nothing anti-Semitic about criticizing that. Like that is something that we are doing as Israelis. And can you talk about how you are informed by your um, by the fact that you're a descendant of Holocaust survivors? Yeah, and that is really something that I think has really formed my identity, um, and that is something also that um, I think really helps with the undoing of it all. Because I really feel like that trauma seed, seed really started there. And that is something that I'm also trying to do in Bloodline, where I start with the story of my great-grandma telling their story of survival. Because in that story of survival, there's also the, the need to escape. And in that need, the, the, the need to assimilate into a new identity of a colonizer, uh, of a settler colony. And, and in the doing of that, there was a, there wasn't, um, a moment of care to take care of what just happened in their bodies. And that became a need to arm ourselves. I mean, I feel like I see it as a fear of, of, of annihilation, also an extreme form of victimhood that is, is in our bodies. And from that place, it's, it's always been very, very hard when I see my elders to, to release the arms and to really tend to that original um, trauma and seed of the Holocaust. Mital, as we wrap up, I wanted to ask you what message you have for young people like Tal Mitnick, who is a refusenik, who's refusing to um, be an Israeli soldier uh, in the occupied territories, to these young people, and here you are in the United States shutting down the California legislature to the United States, your message. Mm-hmm. Um. My message um, is, first of all, for everyone who can to just find their heart and and to liberate themselves from this identity that we call an Israeli identity. And there is no need for any one of us to serve in the IDF. 
The IDF should not exist. The state of Israel should not exist. We can be free without it. We can have a true connection to our heart without that identity. Um, to the U.S. legislators in California, um, you know, the fact that we were even able to take a break while there's a genocide happening is an impossible idea to hold. And in this moment, when you're back from the break, we shut it down on one day, but now you really need to make decisions. And, you know, in the federal level, we are not being heard. So please, I beg of you, make this stop in whatever way you can. Meital Yaniv, organizer with Shoresh, a new U.S.-based Israeli anti-Zionist group, born in Tel Aviv, former IDF soldier, descendant of Holocaust survivors. Their new book is titled Bloodlines. Next up, Ralph Nader on Gaza, on what's happening today in the world, and his new book, The Rebellious CEO. Stay with us. by McCarthy. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman. We end today's show with Ralph Nader, longtime consumer advocate, corporate critic, four-time former presidential candidate. We'll talk to him about several topics, including his new book, The Rebellious CEO, 12 Leaders Who Did It Right. He's also the founder of Capitol Hill Citizen Newspaper, has been named by Time and Life magazines, one of the 100 most influential Americans of the 20th century. But Ralph, let's begin with U.S. policy in Gaza. Amidst the protests nationwide calling for a ceasefire, senior Biden education official Tarek Habash resigned this week. He's the first Biden appointee over what he called Biden's, quote, complete unwillingness to demand an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Gaza. Biden's facing re-election amidst a broader Middle East conflict. Ralph, you said, quote, Biden and Congress are vigorously enabling the annihilations in Gaza. What do you mean and what do you feel needs to happen? Well, the important thing in the U.S. here is to focus on Congress and the White House because they are uh, waist deep in, in this uh, genocidal war uh, in, uh, in Gaza. The Congress is basically a rubber stamp. Uh, and doesn't even have public hearings as it shovels billions of dollars uh, to Israel. And it's about to pass unless Bernie Sanders and others who are opposed a $14.3 billion, with a B, dollar uh, uh, appropriation for Israel, military arms and other uh, aspects of the Israeli right-wing regime's priorities. And that $14.3 billion is larger than the budget of the Environmental Protection Agency. It's 20 times the budget of the Occupational Safety and Health Agency. It's four times the budget of the National Park Service, which has 300 million visitors. So there is rising opposition uh, to it in the Congress, mostly among Democrats, but not enough. And I think the Jewish Voice for Peace and other valiant uh, people who are resisting should focus more on the Congress. 
as far as Biden's concerned, it, it really gives a new meaning to hypocrisy. He keeps saying publicly that Israel should reduce its impact on civilian casualties and let humanitarian trucks in. At the same time, he's sending ships full of munitions and cargo planes full of munitions uh, to Netanyahu. Uh, you cannot have uh, humanitarian trucks coming in, and it needs to be about 700 at least a day if you don't have a ceasefire. Because who's going to go in? The, the roads are torn up. They, they can't get to their destination. The hospitals and clinics have been destroyed or disabled. Uh, th there's no markets. There's no uh, ability to receive uh, these uh, materials, and the Israelis are letting in maybe 10, 20 trucks a day, uh, but they're delaying uh, hundreds and hundreds of trucks ready to come in, which Biden has already paid for. So, so Biden is playing Netanyahu's game, but he's trying to get away with uh, highfalutin adherence to international law. We don't hear enough about uh, the violation of international law, U.S. treaties, Gene Geneva Convention. It's as if the U.S. can do anything it wants in Syria and, uh, and Iraq, and Israel can continue to bomb uh, repeatedly in Syria and do other violent acts. And the press never raises the issue of law. Without law, you have anarchy. You have all what you're seeing now. And the U.S. is very much involved, and people are very concerned about a wider conflict here. The Israelis already struck in Beirut, and uh, you have the Red Sea situation with the Houthi uh, boats, and the U.S. is all over the place. Aircraft carriers, they have 24-7 drones over Gaza, so that'll be a very good record when the, the reckoning comes after this war is over. In fact, you are Lebanese-American, Ralph, is that right? Your family from Lebanon. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you a question that relates to this. You know, the protests around Gaza on college campuses around the country ultimately have led to the ouster of two college presidents, Liz McGill at UPenn, and now you have Claudine Gay. And I wanted to ask you about the protest yesterday led by Al Sharpton outside the New York office of the billionaire investor Bill Ackman, who helped lead a campaign that led to this week's ouster of the Harvard um, University president, the first black president of Harvard, uh, Claudine Gay. Ackman, Harvard alum, major donor of the university, has publicly railed against Harvard and other schools for supporting DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Al Sharpton vowed to keep protesting outside Ackman's office. This is what he said. We have started these weekly one-hour protests in front of Mr. Ackerman's office. He has said that the resignation of Ms. Dr. Gay at Harvard is not the end of it. They're going to keep fighting to the end DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's declaring a war on all of us, blacks, women, gays. DEI was designed to bring fairness and equality to people that had been historically marginalized and eliminated. So that's Al Sharpton as part of his campaign to oust Gay as Harvard president. Bill Ackman helped amplify allegations that Gay committed plagiarism in her academic work. But now Ackman's wife, the MIT professor Neri Oxman, is facing a plagiarism scandal of her own. Business insiders revealed Oxman plagiarized parts of her doctoral dissertation.
station at MIT. On Thursday, she apologized and admitted making mistakes. Of course, there was no plagiarism panel that was set up. That's the process at Harvard that would evaluate um, President Gay before she was ultimately, I guess you could probably say, pushed out by Harvard Corporation with a lot of pressure from these major donors like Bill Ackman. Your response before we move into your book on corporate executives who did it right. What's been revealed is the big donors to these universities, especially private universities like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, have been exercising their baleful influence for many years over the curriculum. You know, it's not... uh, uh, surprising that Harvard Law School uh, for for decades never had a course on corporate law, corporate crime rather. Uh, so these large donors now have been revealed to have enormous power over the board of overseers over Harvard University, and that's the next investigation for good news student newspapers like the Harvard Crimson. The stuff on plagiarism, it, it could be serious, but not in this case, uh, given the review of the president's uh, past uh, uh, writings. But the, the, the big issue is the slaughter, is the uh, suppression of speech on college campuses, dealing with the slaughter over there in, in Gaza. And the fatality count uh, is, is grossly uh, undercounted, uh, uh, Amy, I know you you refer to the official uh, Hamas Health Authority count, where they only count people whose names they know who died, and so it's over 22,000, 58,000 injury. This is a massive undercount. As the uh, head of the Global Health uh, Department, University of Edinburgh, said in an article in in The Guardian the other day, there's going to be half a million Gazans who are going to die before the end of this year, not only from the bombing, but from the effect of the bombing in terms of the destruction of the healthcare system, infectious diseases, uh, polluted water, diarrhea, which little children, which is uh, often uh, a high rate of fatality and very quickly, lack of any food, no shelter, 85% of the 2.3 million people homeless. They have no connection to sanitation, food, protection, the winter elements. Uh, my uh, estimate now is at least 100,000 have died. And more will die every day because of the effects that I've just described. The World Health Organization said they've never seen a situation like this in decades. Uh, the, the amount of number of children being killed in November it was 150 a day from the Israeli bombing. And that's compared to uh, two a day in Afghanistan and less than one uh, a day in Ukraine. So that's that's the main issue. And at the campus controversy, talking about slurs and ethnic slurs and so forth, what's behind it all is to uh, repress the academic world from speaking out and acting uh, on what our government is doing to make all this possible. And then we also have to have focus on these corporations. For a lot of this aid to Israel bounces back into contracts for uh, missiles, Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed Martin. They're raking it in. And people talk about the lobby in this country supporting uh, any Israeli government uh, can do no wrong, no matter how extreme. Uh, we have to talk about the military-industrial complex here on Capitol Hill, pushing for more and more of these immense sales and profits. 
Uh, Ralph, you just wrote a book. Um, you are deeply critical right now of the corporations you just mentioned. But your book is The Rebellious CEO, 12 Leaders Who Did It Right. Some may be surprised to see you, this corporate critic, um, writing this book, uh, famous for Unsafe at Any Speed, The Designed in Dangers of the American Automobile, among other things. But in this last minute, and then we'll do a post-show interview, talk about why you wrote it. Because there's not enough uh, good yardsticks to evaluate the misbehavior of giant CEOs of these multinational corporations uh, who distort markets, control markets, but they tell you when you take, you criticize them for their munitions production, for opiates, for fossil fuels, for high drug prices. Well, we're just meeting market demand. Well, these 12 CEOs. They, uh, they made profit, but they reversed the business model, focusing on protecting, treating workers' right, consumers' right, uh, and environment. And they spoke out against war. They spoke out against uh, Amy uh, Anita Roddick of Body Shop, spoke out against uh, the, the cosmetic industry's harm on, on young uh, customers. Ray Anderson changed Ralph, his entire... We have to leave it there, but we're going to do part two, posted at democracynow.org. Ralph Nader, author of The Rebellious CEO, 12 Leaders Who Did It Right. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my gosh. I wasn't dreaming, everybody. 100,000 dead, Ralph Nader said. I worked directly with Ralph Nader to create the World Symposium on Humanity. Oh, that was in 1979 at the Pasadena Convention Center for a solid week. And, oh my gosh. Yes, he did run for president four times. All right, well, real quick here, we're going to just blaze the violet fire, everyone. Blaze the violet fire. Yes. Mother said enough. Well, let's see what we can do about this. Okay, this is, uh, it's uh, the host again. Here is Regina Meredith, and she's interviewing Peter Canova. Reclaiming Sophia. Quantum creation. As we descendants of Sophia intended to relay energy within the quantum are we descendants of Sophia sorry intended to relay energy within the quantum field hmm in other words are humans are we as humans descendants of Sophia's uh pista Sophia face uh the the Hertek JJ Hertek's second book with his wife was called Pistis Sophia mm-hmm. and that means faith in divine wisdom I would say the goddess in that sense so anyway are humans the descendants of Sophia intended to relay energy within the quantum field as a bridge between matter and spirit merging quantum science with ancient spiritual traditions author Peter Canova and host Regina Meredith traced the Gnostic origins of the Judeo-Christian story of 
Eve's fall. Drawing upon the quote-unquote Ivy League of mystery schools from India to the British Isles, Canova, Canova explains how thought forms linked to ex- eternal attributes are the same God particle validated by physicists, what aspects of Sophia or wisdom and her male counterpart known as will can help human humanity reclaim light and reckon with shadow. All right, well, this is 47 minutes. Let's get started. Wow. This is going to be a revealing story, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. A little gin in there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Gene. to start this story in 1945 with the discovery of the Nag Hammadi texts. Two Egyptian peasant brothers found the texts outside a cave and brought them home, where mom burned some of them to heat the hut they lived in. Peter Canova is here with us today to talk about the ramifications of millennia of wisdom going up in smoke and so much more. Welcome, Peter. Nice to be here. First of all, what was the significance of these scrolls? And I love the story uh, that you relay about the mother and what happened with these scrolls and why? I mean, these things have, have happened throughout history. And you're thinking, oh, my God. Yeah, it, it had a lot Fuel. of uh, Indiana Jones yeah. type uh, element, elements to tell, it. Tell us a little bit about it, because people don't know that part of the story yeah. normally. Well, uh, in 1945, some Egyptian brothers were poking around uh, caves in uh, the lower mountains and uh, outside of a town called Nag Hammadi in Egypt. And uh, they went into the caves and there were some earthenware jars in there. And they debated whether to break them open because they were afraid there might be an evil jinn in there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Genie, as yeah, they yeah. call it, a jinn in, in Islamic terms. And uh, But their greed overcame their fear because they said, well, then again, it could be gold. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they broke it open and all these papyrus scrolls fall out. And at first they said, well, this is this has to do with Christians. This has nothing to do with us. Let's let's just leave it alone. But then they said, well, you know, I, we don't know. Maybe it might be worth something. So they took him back home. And uh, yes, as you said, mom, not realizing the value of these, uh, used some of them for, uh, for burning fuel. the furnace, for fuel, for cooking and so forth and so on. So unfortunately, we, we lost some um, some great texts there. But I think the significance of it is that these texts gave us the insight, a window back into the old Gnostic masters. Now, the Gnostics, uh, that comes from a Greek word, nosin, with nosin, which means to know. And the Gnostics were a group of mystics that were centered in Alexandria, Egypt. And they were uh, really, I guess I could say, probably the most scientific seers of their day, as, as I think we'll get into a little bit later on. But prior to this time, We had no voice of the Gnostic masters except through their enemies, which were the early church fathers. So we really only knew very much about the Gnostics through the writings of the church fathers. And of course, those were rather, you know, hostile, hostile point of view. Uh, But now we were able to hear directly 
from these old Gnostic masters. And it opened up a whole new perspective on early Christianity and the nature of the mystical Christian church, the mystical foundations of the Christian church. So is it is it accurate that it's it's believed that these texts were written around the 4th and 5th century by uh, a sect of Christian monks who were of a mystical nature? Probably not Christian monks. Okay. It was probably hidden by Christian monks. Hidden by Christian but monks. But the, okay. writing, the writings of the Gnostics, you know, they, they vary over time. Part of the knock that the Christian church has leveled against the Gnostics is, well, you know, their texts came after the writings right. of Paul and so forth. Well, right. that's not really true because the Gospel of Thomas, uh, which is clearly Gnostic, uh, seemed to be dated just about the time of the writings of Paul, about 50 uh, A.D. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, the other writings— uh, although the ones that we have appear to have been written around 100 A.D. or, or, or there, okay. we don't know if those were copies of earlier texts. So, in other words, there may be earlier Gnostic texts out there that were originals that we're not aware of, and we we just got copies. But, uh, yeah, it, it, primarily in the first century uh, after Christ. So it would seem then that because they were talking about the foundational level of the nature of reality, right, that this must have been inherited and passed down knowledge from even Atlantean or ancient Egyptian times. What is your understanding of that? Well, the Gnostics were very unique because Alexandria was the intellectual capital of the world at Mm -hmm. that time, far more so than Rome or, or even Athens. And you had the confluences of so many ancient traditions, the Hindus, Persians, Zoroastrians, uh, the the Jewish Kabbalah, Egyptian Hermeticists, and even Hellenistic Greek philosophy was all part of the intellectual mainstream of Alexandria at that time. And the Gnostics really were the people who sort of synthesized those into – a coherent understanding, but I would I would also say this to be really accurate. There was a universal spiritual tradition in ancient times. We call it the perennial philosophy today, and it had common elements to it in you know really throughout the ancient world. Of course, over the centuries, it would have been differentiated in different cultures and things like that. But it talked about you know everything stemming, all appearances stemming from one source. Uh, and, it, you know, it described uh, the nature of light and how light operates and so forth. And they were actually what they called the mystery schools back in those days. And you can think of the mystery schools as kind of an Ivy League of uh, of mystical traditional schools that stretched all the way from India even to the British Isles. And they all would have had variances, as I said, in their teachings, but they trained adepts in the mystical arts and in the uh, methodology of contacting higher spirit, higher consciousness, Mm -hmm. higher sources of information. So that was sort of the foundation that the Gnostics built on. They didn't just invent all of it. They they inherited much of it, but they kind of collated it and put it into, uh, you know, a very coherent system. That's what it would seem and talk about up in smoke, Alexandria. Yeah, unfortunately, um, twice, actually, the the library burnt and then the Serapium, uh, which was kind of a smaller library burnt. And the, the knowledge that we lost is just unfathomable. By design, I assume. You know, you it, it, it's hard I to do, say. I mean, it's speculation. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's hard to say. I mean, you, you can sort of. I do think that there's a principle of opposition that exists in this world. Yes. And that great light attracts great darkness. Yeah. And that perhaps circumstances like that are manifestations. Anyway, so gone. 
So here we are now. It, it takes a couple thousand years. We're, it'll all come back around. People, so a lot of the same players are back around again. So let's talk about the creation story and let's go into it as told in the Pista Sophia and why is this particular body of work so important in your mind? Well, first of all, it lays out what I believe was the foundation of quantum physics 3,000 years before quantum physics. It's so rich in in um, symbolism uh, and so important for understanding the nature of this world, the origin of human beings, and how reality operates. It, it, encompass, it encompasses all those things. So it's very deep, and I need to take a little bit of time. Oh yeah, well I'm going to ask you. I'm going to prompt you through mm-hmm. yeah. because it is so rich. There's so much to it. So I thought I just took it in the flow that I found interesting, sure. and so we'll go on a well, journey together and interject anything you want. Sure. What I would tell our listening audience is close your eyes mm-hmm. while I'm telling this because it will help you visualize things that are a little abstract and sometimes hard to hard to grasp. So if you just picture a field of energy that extends out into infinity and picture it as, you know, a whitish bubble or or something with color in it that extends over a field that radiate, it radiates out. This energy was the mind of the source. This was the end the the source projecting its energy outward. And within this vast energy field, there are pockets or compartments and those pockets or compartments are, distinct realities, localized realities, of which ours, physical reality, is is one of them. And the Sophia story basically starts off by the one source projecting its thought out to form other spiritual entities or spiritual beings. Now, you can you can sort of say, well, it might be similar to angels in Christian terminology, but not not exactly. What these beings were were archetypal energies of the one source itself they represented aspects and incidentally i call it the source but you can call it god you can call it the source the creator, you, the the creator. creator. you can call it anything right. you want it's all the same thing right. the terminology doesn't the matter. point is there was some presence with mind so vast it had the potential to create exactly and and it had the desire to expand itself throughout different experiences of creation and that was the whole purpose of it generating other points of consciousness. Because think about it for a second. If you're everything, it's a rather static existence. You can you can exist, but you can't really experience. You only experience through contrasts, through contrasts with other beings, with other other things. That's how you you reflect upon yourself is by the contrasts around you. Absolutely. So when you're talking about these beings, these archetypes that were created, the way you explain it in the book, it's almost as though what we would call sort of the noble attributes, you could say, of compassion, beauty, truth, grace. These concepts became archetypal entities. Well, that's that's exactly it. These spiritual entities, which were really sources of intelligent energy in and of themselves, were aspects of the the deity, aspects of God, aspects of the source. They were given names like truth, justice, beauty, mm-hmm. wisdom, you know, all the all these beautiful attributes, which are archetypal images that even extend down into our level of existence. These are archetypes that have guided humanity 
through art and the poetry truth, and, and yeah. noble truths throughout all, throughout the ages. So the process by which these beings were generated, it's important to understand because it was actually a process of limitation. Okay, when I told you that the the source projected out this vast field of of energy, which they call quant- the quantum fields in modern terminology, um, there are parallel dimensions or parallel universes within that field. As I told you, there's compartments right. within that field. Now, those compartments are not really spatial. People like to think in terms of space. But what they really were, were frequencies of vibrations. Frequencies. Different, fre- different yes. frequencies created different dimensions of existence. Like a, the multiverse is the, multiverse. the collection of these frequencies. Exactly. And these spiritual beings, which were called aeons, A-E-O-N-S, which means eternities in Greek, and they represented the forces that helped shape the creation in the way that the creator wanted to do it. They were working in harmony or with the will of the of the creator, but they had a sense of self-identity. Mm-hmm. They realized they were themselves, but they realized they were part of the source. Now, but let me just say something at this point. This was almost pure thought form yes. existence. Okay. There was no material material reality at this time, and we're, that's where we're going to go that's in a little correct. bit. Okay, now we have these archetypes, and as in all things, learning through contrast, then did this creative force create their mere reflection in the negative? Well, that you have to go a little bit further into the story to get to that part of it. And we were talking about Sophia. And yeah, we're going to spend a lot of time on yeah, her. Yeah, and here, here's where here's where Sophia comes in. <laughs> I call her God's girl. <laughs> the youngest of these eons that were created was Sophia, who, mm-hmm. whose name means wisdom. And incidentally, the only reason most people aren't familiar with Sophia because she's a character in the Bible, uh, particularly in the Old Testament. But she's called wisdom, and instead of Sophia, Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. The English translations that we get use the term wisdom, and she is. Uh, a very prominent figure in the uh, book of Job and in Proverbs. She says, I was there from the beginning. I was there with the creator at the, at the beginning, meaning she was one of the eternities. So um, each of these eternities, it had, it was a little bit of a hierarchy in a sense, because we talked about limitation and the way you experience individuality is through limitation. Okay. What made any of these, um, eons or spiritual beings differentiated from one another was their level of spiritual vibration, okay? So it kind of worked its way on down. So the closer you were to the source, the higher the vibration was. The so more- truth and beauty were above, it turns out, wisdom. Yes. And, and uh, you know, when you, when you kind of worked your way down, there was a little bit of dilution, okay? Now, still very high spiritual being, you know, um, very godlike high spiritual beings, but there was a, a, a differentiation in terms of the of the spiritual vibration. You know, I like it. What I liken it to is you have a, a CD, and then you make a copy of that CD and a copy of that copy and a copy of that copy. Well, the original has the greatest clarity and fidelity. Mm-hmm. The subsequent copies are all a little bit diluted. They're very close, very similar, but they're a little bit diluted. So Sophia was the last of these aeons or these spiritual beings to be created, and. She was wisdom. So how does wisdom grow? Well, it only grows through experience. So Sophia had this desire to create on her own, to create the way the creator did, because none of the eons really 
understood the deeper mysteries of the creator. And she longed to know these deeper mysteries. So Sophia looks outside of this original sphere of creation, which would be the source and these aeons or these entities. She looks outside of that sphere of creation and she looks into something called chaos. Again, another quantum term, we have chaos theory in quantum, in quantum physics, but what chaos really represented was the unorganized part of this spiritual field that yes. had not been organized by the mind of God. And in hermetics, it would be called prima materia. Right. right. That would be another name for it. Another name for it. And if you go to the Egyptian lexicon, you could almost say what she was doing was the function of what would be known as Isis. So let's talk about that now. So this is really important. She wants to have experience to be able to expand her wisdom. She's now reaching into the already existing field of chaos, prima materia, quantum soup, whatever, chaos. She's reaching into it to put an imprint upon it, which is creation, just like, right? Yes. And what happens is something very interesting. She projects her high energy, her divine essence into chaos. And something very weird happens there. Chaos is not an empty vacuum. And science has found, quantum physics has found, there's no such thing as a vacuum. In space all around us, it's seething Mm -hmm. with virtual particles, particles that have in potential, that have not yet yet come into, manifested into what we would call reality. So chaos is seething with proto-matter. Now, this blows my mind that they could even give it a term like this. Proto-matter, that which becomes before matter, which is virtual particles. Chaos is seething with these virtual particles. And they swarm around Sophia like iron filings would swarm to a magnet. And they engulf her. They start to activate with her high energy, but they're draining her energy off. And something is new is starting to form here. She cries out to heaven. I am becoming as lead. Save me from this matter that I am becoming. My light is diminishing. Save me from this matter. What we see here is the whole functioning of the God particle in quantum physics. Now, the God particle, there's there's something that surrounds our universe called the Higgs field, all-encompassing, and there are virtual particles in the Higgs field they call Higgs bosons. Now, they discovered the Higgs bosons in 2012. Uh, in the giant particle collider in in uh, in Switzerland, underneath Switzerland and and, and France, and uh, they it was theorized for like fifty years, but they finally found out it was reality. And what the Higgs bosons do is that when energy enters into our universe, and incidentally, science has no idea what energy is. They don't know where it comes from. Right. They can manipulate it to a certain extent, but they don't know its origins, and they don't really understand what energy is. So energy comes into our universe from somewhere. Exactly. And the Higgs bosons attach themselves to these high streams of energy and slow them down. And they slow them to the point where they start to take on mass because that's what matter is. Matter is simply energy in a lower state of vibration. So they lower the vibration of this high energy and it starts to form, form mass or, you know, or matter. What was happening in the Sophia story? Right. They swarmed around Sophia. They lowered her high energy, and she cries out, "I'm becoming matter." Okay, so so here you see the function. I mean, it's so clear that you see the function of the God particle and the energy matter conversion happening in in this story right there. Absolutely, and that does seem very clear. There is a point in this story though that is interesting because, as you say in this, 
she was supposedly only half of the wisdom equation. You say she had a counterpart. Is that correct? Or was she standing on her own as wisdom? She acted on her own, but she was part of a pairing. Well, now let's and, talk about that. And did the others have pairings? Yes, there, there was. Um, okay, this really gets back into something very fundamental in understanding the whole process of creation, which is that although everything stems from one source, that one source, the characteristics of that one source was a, divided itself into a polarity that we call yin-yang, yeah. male, male and female. And it was the interaction of that polarity, that positive and negative, the interaction between them that generated the light, heat, and energy to fundamentally spur on spur on creation. So, because these these spiritual beings, the eons, were made in the image of their father, they too were polarities. They 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 had a male and a female counterpart. So Sophia had a male counterpart. Um, it was given different names in different texts. One yeah, I'd be curious to know. One of them was called Thelema or Will. Okay, so okay. wisdom and will were a pairing. There okay. were there were other ones, but I won't I won't digress into that. But she acted Sophia. The thing that she did that was radical and represented the first fall of spirit, the first break from heaven from the heavenly realm, was that she created without the consent of her counterpart, her male counterpart, and without the consent of the creator. So those were the two preconditions for how creation happened within the divine realm. It would be an agreement between the the, the male and the female, essentially blessed or okayed by, you know, the, the big the big guy. But Sophia didn't have any of that. She acted completely on her own. And therefore many of the texts say that she was very imprudent and she committed you know, a, a great sin. We're going to we're going to debate it, that later. It, that could be debated. That could be debated. There's two there's two sides of that coin that we can exactly. look at. Exactly. But but getting back to the Sophia story, so all of a sudden, this new dimension of matter was happening. Now, I want to caution you that this is not matter as we know it. These were finer, right. more like etheric kind of forms of right. forms of matter, but forms of matter nonetheless. It was a field that could be expressed once it had instruction or imprint or logos yeah, applied to yeah. it. Yeah, and there's all degrees of matter. Yeah. There's finer degrees and there's denser degrees. We would be pretty dense. There's finer right. degrees of matter that yeah, we would other be dimensions. able to detect. Yeah. So, but, so this, this, new, this new dimension of matter could no longer coexist with the, with the spiritual dimension, the high energy, the spiritual dimension. There were two different states that could not coexist. So the texts say that this new dimension was projected apart in a violent upheaval and kind of exploded out into another dimension. Well, what is that describing? Well, the Big Bang. Yeah. Yeah. So here we've already seen the Gnostic text describing the existence of parallel dimensions, the energy matter conversion of the God particle, the origin of matter, and the Big Bang. And the Big Bang essentially was the appearance of something out of nothing. The appearance of our universe out of seemingly right. out of seemingly doesn't nothing. mean it was literally a solo explosion. It just came out of nothing. It came. It came out of nothing from our standpoint. That's right. From, from our, our standpoint. Because we're looking at it exactly. from this side of the equation. Yeah. The other side of the equation, it would be the other side of different. the horizon. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, you know, right there, you see descriptions of some of the major theories of modern quantum physics, and also I should mention the quantum the quantum field, the virtual particles, all these things. You know, were described in the Gnostic text, of course. They didn't always use the exact same terminology. We didn't have particle colliders back in those days. We didn't have the, you know, the, the, the technical capabilities in those days to describe them. But it's about as close as you can get 
just to because a description we didn't of these. have machinery to prove it didn't mean they didn't already know and understand it or have their ways to and describe have their it. ways of describing it yeah. exactly. exactly so now we have creation and at this point is that where you would say some of the mere reflections of the noble uh, truths started coming into play the light the game of light and dark and polarity in terms of the creation of entities that later became influential in the cosmos and on our planet well when you talk about light and dark you have to understand that opposition existed from the beginning mm-hmm. and the reason for opposition was that in order for these created beings to be individuals or to have free will they had to have choice. So opposition is what gave them the choice. And the choice was, at least as far as Sophia is concerned, you either subordinate your will to God's will or you pursue your own individuality. When Sophia fell from heaven, this was the first fall. In the, in the Gnostic tradition, there's more than one fall. The first fall was Sophia's fall from heaven. And what it created was also the dimension of soul mind. Now, there's a difference between soul and spirit. Most people use those Let's interchangeably. Talk about that. Okay. Yeah. The different the different spirit is that consciousness that never left the sphere of the source. It, it its will is the will of the source. They it, they are individuals, but they recognize themselves as themselves, and they recognize themselves as the source, as part of the source. Soul, on the other hand is the record of spirit pursuing its own individuality through different realms of experience. That's a good way to describe it. And, you know, of course, you accumulate the Akashic record and everything else. That's all. That all has to do with soul and soul mind. So soul and spirit are, are really two different two different states. And Sophia, the dimension that Sophia created, would, of course, involve ego because she was acting on her own for herself, for her own experience. So ego was part of that equation. And opposition, as you go low, lower, lower, uh, into lower and lower levels of creation, can take on the appearance of what we call evil. Opposition in and of itself in the abstract is not evil. It's actually, in fact, the devil in early Judaic tradition was not the horned being with cloven hoofs and everything else. He was called the angel of opposition. And he was sent by the creator to create obstacles for human beings to overcome so that they could grow. But as you get further and further into denser realms, that force of opposition can become extreme and take on the attributes of what we call evil. So in other words, it can be so individualistic that you think of only yourself and and nobody else and you can hurt other people psychopaths hitlers you know that that's the extreme where that that's the extreme that opposition can go to so there's shades of opposition there's shades of shadow and there's shades of light it's it's not it's not like an either or there, there, there there's a lot of um nuances in between so but the dimension that sophia created uh, as a result of her action was the dimension of soul mind or the dimension of psyche now here is where you start to see light and shadow come into play because you, you still have the, the impulses and the archetypes from the spirit realm that they came from, but they were diluted. They, they now became shadows. So that in the Gnostic texts, and I think even in the Casey tradition, they posited an earth, but it wasn't the earth that we know. It was like an etheric earth. It was a, a template of a, a blueprint of the earth. Right. And that would have come from the mind of the source. Well, when in Sophia's dimension, 
they started the beings there because they were looking for individual experience started messing with that and that's where you start to get degrees of light and shadow because the the archetypes would have been the guiding images but now these souls were off for themselves and they were developing their own ways to use their creative powers misusing their creative powers you could say in some ways and ultimately that misuse of the creative power led to the second fall of soul into material experience into material bodies so you can see that desire for experience was progressing into all forms including finally a a, a spiritual being in physical form which is what human beings are so now we're in more or less one of the denser realms of creation at this point. And so the supposition is that we have to, through experience, through opposition, learn our way back toward more of the original template. Can you explain in, in this body of work what that would look like? Yeah, that's pretty much accurate what you just said. This is a school. Uh, we are... Um, spiritual beings having a material experience and uh you know we're we're learning things we kind of put ourselves in a box and now we have to learn to get ourselves out of the box and the gnostic texts and many of the uh ancient spiritual traditions really devoted themselves to teaching their adepts um different ways and techniques of regaining that higher source of consciousness And, and in all honesty that's what my book is about my book is a way, a roadmap to try and help people have those experiences with uh, extraordinary experiences with consciousness. And I call it a map because like a map, you have to have at least a couple of coordinates, north and south, mm-hmm. uh, latitude and longitude. Well, my coordinates are quantum science on one hand and ancient spiritual wisdom on the other. And they're both saying the same thing in different languages at different times, but they're both indicating the same matrix or function of creation so once people understand that and i think it, it's inspirational to people because you could go to what are your average consciousness raising seminar and listen to your favorite garden variety guru right and okay you might take what he says on faith because you haven't experienced that but when you hear quantum science saying the same thing you know it's a aha well you know they're re- they wrote now i see there's another side there may be something that this is worth it for me to pursue uh maybe these truths that i'm hearing about maybe there's a way that i can find these by having the understandings of these dual understandings so that's what i'm trying to do is really inspire people uh to their own path to higher consciousness through these 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 two um you know avenues that create the arena for them to operate in so let's go back to that then. Let's talk about the language that would be used around this part of the creation. Okay, now we have this material world that's showing up as polarized, right? And now we're dropping into material reality. In quantum terms, you call it disruption of the quantum foam leading to materiality. Yeah. Well, think of it this way. Remember, we started off. By disruption being the key word there. Right. Remember how we started off talking about the source creating this infinite quantum field. And you can think of it as a smooth energy, but it gets compartmentalized at some points, okay? And the best way I can liken it to you is this. All right, I I live in Florida, and um, we have things called water spouts in Florida. Water spouts are essentially waterborne tornadoes. And 
they just kind of develop. I'm not even sure why they happen, but you can have a smooth river flowing. And all of a sudden, you have this disruption of this water spout, which is a, which is a, a, a little cyclone. You don't want to be near them. And they can do some real damage. But you look at that water spout, and you look at that as something different from the river, the water that it came from, but it's not. The water is smooth, but this is a disruption. And the disruption takes on the appearance of something separate, but it's really not. So in, 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 in this manner, our reality is like a blemish or a blip in this quantum field. It's like a compartment in this quantum field. And within that compartment, we operate under certain laws and perceptions and beliefs and things like that. But we're really all part of that stream, mm-hmm. that mainstream. We're just kind of cul-de-sac yeah. into believing <laughs> that we're something different. So let's talk. Let's go back to Sophia. So this has all occurred under her power um, and her own creative abilities. And there comes a point where she's beginning to have second thoughts and sort of repent over her creations. So let's talk about that as through the lens of this work. (laughs) This is where it can get a little bit trippy. The shadow that we spoke about takes uh, on a sort of um, quasi spiritual form. It was a being that was called Yaldabaoth or the Demiurge, and it really represented all the negative attributes of of soul mind, the the egotism, the selfishness, the feeling that I am the center of of the universe and nothing else exists, you know, beyond me. And that being essentially really was the product of all our thoughts, that our negative thoughts feed these beings. Now, Carlos Castaneda called them flyers. The Gnostic called the Gnostics called them archons. They were mm-hmm. these kind of strange beings. And incidentally, it spilled over into you know ufology with greys and you know um, things like that. But they all kind of really are describing the same phenomena, which is a centralized thought process that contains the shadow, the negative aspects. Of, uh, of life outside the source. Almost like an and, entity that's been created through perpetual repeated thought forms. Well, that's exactly where I was yeah. getting to. It, yeah. it, it, and these entities are created and perpetuated and fed mm-hmm. through the negative emotions yeah. of human beings. They feed on them. They, and, and so Sophia saw all this happening and realized that, you know, okay, I've done this. And she goes through a series of, of uh, repentance in the Pista Sophia. There's, I don't know, four, five or six chapters of her just repenting and repenting. And she is allowed to ascend to a level where she it, it's not all the way back to the source where she where she came from. But she is allowed to ascend to a higher level where she essentially can work as kind of like a work, guiding world spirit in order to bring the lost souls you know, back to this sort of a way station. Um, I won't call it purgatory, but I'll call it more like a way station where once the um, enough of the soul consciousness of, of a particular sphere has been enlightened, that's the tipping point. And then all of a sudden, some wonderful speculative things could happen. That could be where kingdom, the kingdom of heaven comes down to earth. That could be where the veil between the spiritual and the physical ceases to exist. And we can do what I think we were able to do at one time, which is come in and out of physical body, come in and out of physical forms. Uh, Casey said in, in one of my books, I, I write about the fact that there wasn't a really Atlantis-like civilization. And when they first came here, they could come in and out of physical form. Right. But eventually, they began to identify with the boundaries of their skin. And mm-hmm. they became trapped in the idea that they're, they're, they're these physical Yeah, the cultures beings. lowered yeah. over a long period of time. But, but I, I had the perception for, from long ago 
that we are the fingers of God that touch the face of this earth and that our purpose is to spiritualize the material and bring the experience of the material back to spirit so that spirit can have experience in all forms, including being a physical form. And this is the way the source experiences the source we're the relays we're the conduits right. we're, we're in 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 this electrical grid the source is there we're the relay stations that both contribute to the creation of reality but feed back the experience of that to the source so we're, we we have a very unlike christianity and judaism which has told us that we're like these lowly sinners and we ticked off god yeah, don't and, and 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 now you know we're forever trying to get back into his good graces it didn't work like that Mm-mm. we are the very important bridge between matter and spirit yeah. Yes, and this gets us into a larger debate. And I, the word I was a little was searching for a little bit ago regarding these creations, because I've always wondered, it was an egregore. We create these egregores, which are these composite entities of our thoughts and feelings and emotions, and we give them an identity, and they're all around us. We're creating them all the time. But at the same time, we can be creating the opposite. We can be creating a very positive egregore of sorts, by the way of our own understanding of life, going returning to the noble truths and living in a sense of compassion and grace, we can create the very thing you're talking about, the bridge that goes back to that, but through Sophia's efforts. But one thing when you're talking, I keep thinking, Eve, it's almost like all the, all the sin has been hung on Sophia in this story. She was the downfall. And again, the feminine being the downfall. Do you see it that way? No, um, in the Gnostic text, the serpent was actually an agent of wisdom. And Sophia, or I should say Eve at that point, actually awoke from the shadow state that the, as you call them, the egregores, the archons, mm-hmm. you know, had created. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so essentially she was re- recovering, recovering wisdom. And uh, I, will, I will say this just, just to go back, because you mentioned about the egregores in the Gospel of Philip which is one of my favorite Gnostic Gospels, it said, God created men, now men create gods. Mm-hmm. That, that's very true. And that, that's what, that's what he, he really was speaking of, the, the egregores or the thought forms that you're, you're talking yes. about. So the feminine was exalted at one point in history. We had matriarchal and even matrilineal mm-hmm. societies like Egypt before 3000 BC was both a matriarchal and a matrilineal society. It eventually shifted and became patriarchal. And I have my theories about why that happened. I, I, I think, you know, when spirit came down into this world, uh, after a while, it had to live in, you know, danger, uh, saber-toothed tigers, things trying to kill it, things happening, so, you know, bad weather. When survival became survival, imperative. Survival became imperative. And the it was, you know, a, really a more of a left brain function to deal mm-hmm. with that, how to organize yourself against your environment. And that's kind of a patriarchal male way of looking well, at it. Well, and also the male was more equipped to do that just by size and strength alone. Yeah. So there, there was a there was a there was a shift. But what the feminine always represented was the really, in my opinion, the gateway back to the spiritual world because it involves feeling and it involves insight and it involves intuition. And if you have those qualities, you're, you're on a spiritual path. You, you, you're already connected to the spirit, you know, to, to spiritual have. Now that doesn't mean that only women have that. That's absolutely. Don't, it's don't the mistake feminine, that. not necessarily yeah, it, 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 uh, Jung called it the anima and the animus, mm-hmm. the, the male and the female and the female and the male. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, very much like a saying of Jesus, Jesus said, when you make the male female and the female male and you make the two as one, then we'll, then you will realize the kingdom of heaven. Jung said the exact same thing, yes. that when you merge those, you become an individuated, actualized human being. That's right. You become the essence of what it means to be a human being. You are in balance now. Right. And so but the feminine quality always played a very important role in that. And, you know, I kind of liken it to a rocket ship because there's two basic systems in a rocket ship. You have the, uh, the fuel and you have the guidance system. So the fuel is the, the feminine aspect of it. That is the insight to uplift that there's something else up there and I want to work my way towards it. Mm-hmm. But the guidance system is kind of what helps you shape your direction mm-hmm. once you've achieved liftoff. Mm-hmm. One is not good without the other. Without, without the fuel, you don't get off the ground. Right. Without the guidance system, you just go around in circles. So they both play a very, back very to, important part. Back to Logos and Prima Materia. Yeah. They work together to create whatever reality they, is intended they do. to be they created. Work, they, must, they must work together because that's the way the original polarity was. Exactly. And still is, obviously, throughout the universe and throughout the dimensions. Right. And so now we get to the little debate about but was this all by design? Was it was it the intention of the great source and the great creator to only have the thought forms that are all essentially of goodness? Or was it to expand beyond that to give universes of experience birth, which Sophia was responsible for doing? Yeah. It seems to me like she's the one. She's the one that created the, the this no, entire... The Gnostics had... Um a bit of a dual view on that in one on one hand they described her as being imprudent uh rash they even described her as being a whore that she that she that she um, that in the bible that that she um adulterated her high energies with these lower elements they didn't mean it in the the carnal sense (laughs) but in a spiritual sense that she said she was a prostitute so that was one school that was without but another school of thought was that no this was all known from the this was all known from the beginning now i tend to go with that latter uh, that that latter belief, because I believe you have essentially an all-knowing source, and uh, I have to believe that although I do believe that there's degrees of freedom and latitude allow- allowed within that scheme of things, uh, I do believe it's working towards an, a guided ending. And 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 so you know, in that regard, yeah, I think it was foreseen that this would happen. I agree with you. I think that is how it was to have been, and hence we're here. We're even able. We're embodied, and we're able to talk about it. So, going back to the purpose of your work, which is, um, as we talk, spoke about before, we're creating gods every minute by our own thought, collective thought. So now to create that critical mass of that positive, noble thought again to take this species of humanity back more toward our rightful place and our rightful state of being, what do you think is most required of each of us now? Well, obviously, you have to have some spiritual attributes in your life. You have to have some vision of spirit in your life. And I think what's required is you have to work towards it a little bit. It's like anything else. You know, it doesn't just drop in your lap. Now, okay, for some people like myself, Things happened to me that 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 I didn't seek that that just, you know, were there. Okay, that happens to some people. Other people, they have to work more towards that revelation or peeling those layers away for things to happen. But it's but we're all capable of of that happening. I think the 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 thing to really understand is this. I'm I'm not a big believer in a lot of, you know, new age adages. Um, But the whole thing about being co-creators 
is really true from a, a quantum standpoint as well as from a spiritual standpoint. I likened it to, like I say, the source. Let's say the source is the raw power of a, of a power grid. Like we have power grids that run this country. The source is the raw power. Well, raw power is never transmitted for use. It has to be stepped down. So it's stepped down into the in, into relay stations, and we're the relay stations in effect. Mm-hmm. So we are part of that energy, even though in a limited and stepped down sense, stepped down frequency. But we can increase our frequencies. We can increase our rate of vibration by the level of understanding and experience we have. And it's not just enough to have understanding because there is a difference between knowledge gained by books and knowledge gained by experience. Knowledge gained by experience is the higher form because yes. I, could, I could tell you, for instance, that fire burns, but you don't know that for sure until you stick your hand in the fire. Yeah. Then you own it. You know, you know what fire is about, right? That's knowledge by experience. So what the point that I'm trying to tell people is, in fact, I often start off my uh, public speaking by saying to people, don't believe a damn thing I'm going to tell you. Yeah. And they sit there scratching their head and say, well, what do we pay to come to this for? I'm saying, I'm not telling you not to pay attention to me. And I'm not telling you not to take in and internalize the information I'm giving you. What I'm saying is you don't have to believe me. What you have to do is get to the point where you have your own experiences and revelations with this source that's out there. And then you become your own prophet. You don't need somebody like me to listen to. You don't need to look up to me or any other teacher or guru or anything else. You can own this in your own self. And all I'm doing is trying to give the people a roadmap to mm-hmm. maybe maximize the ability to have those those kinds of experiences. To go into connection with source. To, to go, go into connection, connection with, with source. Your own because soul and what, mind. what I what I found is source is like a radio station broadcasting twenty four seven. Yeah. And until I had certain revelations or awakenings, I was like somebody, you know, trying to tune that radio while I was getting with static. But then I finally hit on that one frequency and it came, it became clear to me that it was like a 24 seven broadcast of information. And it was information that could really enhance one's life and help you really get a grasp on what reality was about and realize that this is just the bottom uh, ladder of, of multiple dimensions that are above us uh, and that we can get information from those dimensions that we can come and bring back and use here, which was the basis of shamanism. Shamans were those people that walked on the other side, brought back information for healing, for guiding their tribes and so forth and so on. Agreed. It's a time to be our own shaman. We can go to the higher mind, which is connected to the all. Exactly. And so just finding that, like you say, hitting on that frequency so that you can hear that voice because it's so clear, so clean. And usually quite logical, too. And it's not laden with all the emotions that we have in this realm. Might it be fair also to say in terms of the collective, the human soup that we're creating, just to let go of cynicism in favor of actual discernment. Cynicism is really born out of fear of others' projections on us. To let go of cynicism and maybe start seeing the good in each other a little bit more, might that help the soup start essentially simmering a bit faster? Well, a bit faster. I, I think fear is probably the greatest impediment Absolutely. in existence. Uh, and um, that's why I wrote this book, uh, because I believe the degree to which you increase your consciousness, you reduce your fear. Yes. Because you have a better understanding of how things work and things start to make more sense to you. You no longer start to feel like a random leaf being blown around in the wind. You start to understand the nature of the wind itself. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I couldn't agree more. I think you're right on it. And as we said early in the beginning, or I said anyway, 
To me, Sophia is God's girl. She got the whole game in motion, so we get to experience all of this. Yeah, we can uh, thank Sophia. <laughs> you, 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 you can either thank Sophia or curse her. I guess they did. <laughs> I they, did they did. But they did both. But like, like I say, I, I mean, I, I believe there's a, a purpose. Yeah. Uh, to humanity, mm-hmm. I believe we serve a purpose, which I described earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we we ought to start thinking of ourselves as living a little bit more of uh, of an exalted state of, of existence, Absolutely. rather than um, you know these these. Poor sinners, lo- sinners that, begging uh, for forgiveness because yeah, we exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, our biggest sin was what being born, born, right? Being born. How do you get beyond that? You and I are on the same page, yeah. Peter. And thank you so much. You're really fun to talk to about all of this because a lot of times, especially when you get into the quantum realm, it can be quite heavy. Yeah. And you keep it fun and accessible. So thank you so much for joining Thanks me for today. Having me. Again, the book is titled Quantum Spirituality, and you can go down all those rabbit holes yourself and connect with your higher self. To learn more about Peter, you can go to petercanova.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Naghamadi dig, everybody. That's world famous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Rama's going to play something here for us. i got to try to find it. Oh. Yeah. You have it queued up though, right? Mm, I am looking the nine minute one. I have the six minute. Okay, then do that one. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Okay, tell everybody what this is called. This is Aurora Ray. Indigo children are going to change the world. Indigo children are indeed going to change the world. All right, let's do this, everybody. It's the nine-minute one. Oh, it's the nine-minute one. Good for you. (laughs) Unlocking the mystery of indigo children. What you need to know. We... When a fire starts, every oh moment God. matters. How quickly can you respond? What we We've all heard about children born with special gifts. They're called indigo children. However, some parents are wondering if it's something to be concerned about and what their children might be up to. Indigo children are being born into the world at an incredible rate. They have a wide range of talents, abilities, and emotional lives. So, what is an indigo child's ultimate secret? Are they different from the rest of us? Do they possess superpowers? Does their consciousness have some kind of alien origin? Are they new species on Earth? And why does this phenomenon appear to be increasing. Is it possible to know the future of our children just by looking at their DNA? These are the questions I have been asking myself for some time. So many parents have told me that their child has displayed certain characteristics at an early age, often around five or six years old. It's almost like they have a sixth sense about certain things, and it's always correct. 
Wouldn't it be nice to know if you're an indigo child? Okay, maybe you already do know. You've noticed that your children are different and have a special sparkle about them. But maybe you've been searching for answers in vain. You feel as though something is out of balance, but you don't know what or why. Uncovering the mystery of indigo, children is one of the most exciting endeavors you will ever undertake as a parent. It's a wonderful adventure, and anyone who becomes an indigo child or parent will surely be enriched in countless ways. If you're the parent of an indigo child, understand that they're incredibly special and will change the world. Trust me when I say that your children can change the course of history and that you are helping to create such a movement right now. It may sound too incredible to believe, but there would be no world for children if these special ones were not first born into it. So keep reading to learn more about indigo babies and then share it with your friends and family. Indigo children are highly intuitive. They can read people's thoughts and know what's going on in their minds. They have a sixth sense of things. Indigo children are bright, creative, and keenly aware. They are more mature than most kids their age and often have advanced knowledge of social issues. They have an understanding of themselves that is deeper than most adults. They know who they are and what they want from life. Indigo children are individuals who have an innate ability to communicate with the planet and the world around them. They have a deep connection with the universe, which means they can connect to their higher selves, know what's best for them, and make good decisions without being told what to do. They are open to change and want things to change for the better in the world. They possess a clear sense of self, definition and purpose. These individuals are often described as having an internal knowing of themselves and where they come from. And they can also be described as being spiritually connected to their families and ancestors. They have a strong sense of right and wrong but they may not always follow societal norms or traditional rules of conduct. They often have incredibly developed psychic abilities that allow them to connect with people on a level beyond words or other forms of communication. They also tend to be very empathic, which means that they connect easily with others' emotions even if those emotions are difficult for them to understand on an intellectual level. Indigo children are often described as shining beings or having a gift of some kind. They frequently possess an intuitive understanding of how things work and can even predict the future. They are also very aware of their surroundings. They're always looking for ways to improve themselves. They aren't afraid to take risks or try new things, so long as it doesn't put them in danger or cause them harm. Indigo children are born with the ability to see beyond what we call reality, which means that they have eyes that see beyond our physical view of things. 
They are born into a world where the old ways are no longer working and they seek out answers from those who can provide those answers. Indigo children are also known as ancient ones by some cultures because they were once here on this planet before we humans came along. They were taught by the Creator how to use their natural abilities to help others in need. They have an innate sense of justice and fairness, which often makes them stand out in a crowd of people who are not so fair-minded. They can often pick up on subtle clues that others miss. And while they may be different from other kids, keep in mind that they experience life much like anyone else. You can count on them to experience joy and pain, as well as all the things in between. As much as possible, try to provide a space where they can develop their special gifts, empathy and compassion in a way that will serve them, their community and the world. Indigo children need a great deal of understanding, acceptance and patience as they struggle with their unique gifts and challenges. With the right support, they have the potential to achieve great things in life and may even surpass our expectations of them. And if you're an indigo adult who has been through some of this before, there's no need to shy away from sharing your experiences. By doing so, you foster understanding among parents who may be struggling with similar challenges. Whether you're an indigo adult or the parent of an indigo child, it's good to know that you aren't alone. There are many other indigos out there who are feeling the same way, and there are plenty of ways to support your own indigo child and learn from others' experiences. In the end, whether or not you believe in indigos, there are many good things to consider and plan for as you raise your one kind child. Adopt open, mindedness and be flexible as you adjust and adapt your parenting style to meet your child's needs. You may even find that some of the indigo characteristics listed are true of your own child, and it doesn't matter if it's an indigo or not. If you see a trait in yourself or your child, it's worth exploring how best to take advantage of those strengths. To say that indigo children are misunderstood would be an understatement. People tend to judge them by their appearance, and let's be honest, they are not the easiest children to have a conversation with. But once you get to know them and learn how to connect with them, there is so much more to discover. There is a whole world in there just waiting to be unlocked. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Do this every morning to clear stuck mucus from lungs. <laughs> Okay, everybody, we did it. <laughs> All I can say is give peace a chance, huh? Give peace a chance. Give peace a chance.
Are you gonna feed me? No, God, not again, Rayburn. All right, you got the last word. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I know you're gonna forget me. <laughs> yeah, you're psychic, I think. That's right. <laughs> well, it's TJ's birthday. And oh, yeah, you've got to say happy birthday to me. that I'm here like Don does. So it, I understand. <laughs> okay, well, we all got to say happy birthday, TJ. Happy birthday, dude. Happy birthday, TJ. <laughs> Nineteen years around the sun. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Yeah, so thank you for tonight and uh looking forward to this afternoon. Yes, it's true. <laughs> it's TJ's birthday, Saturday, the sixth of January. Oh Epiphany. my yeah. So happy feast of the feast of the wise men. So uh, uh let's let's bring our frankincense and myrrh and gold tomorrow and celebrate <laughs> yes that means that TJ was born on the 6th of January 2005 if I'm not correct yeah because he'll be 20 next year yeah alright yeah. so that means uh, 2000 I mean 2024 is an 8 Plus six is 14, plus one is 15. Huh. Um, let me see, wait a minute. No, I'm, I, no, when he was born, he was born in 2005, so five and two is seven, plus uh, six is 13, plus one is 14. So you were born as a number five TJ and what that's that is uh, number five is the power of change and I've had enough experience it's been short but you have a power of being able to adjust to change if there's an emergency you're right there okay da -da 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 -da, we'll fix that <laughs> <laughs> yes the power of change and uh, that power is your healing power. And the color for the number five is emerald green, emerald green ray. And and it's, and it's you can uh, uh, apply it for physical healing, too. And I know that you got yourself a little dose of COVID there. You lost your touch, your sense of taste and something else. And I think it's all back, right? Everything everything working within normal parameters? <laughs> All right. Well, if not, all you have to do is put on a nicotine patch for six days, and, and you'll get all of it back. You got to do what? Say that again, Rainbird. Wear a nicotine patch, seven milligram. That's the weakest one they have for six days, six patches, and that seven, that brings back like everything. Seven milligram nicotine patch for six days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that so gets rid of any long COVID side effects? Absolutely eliminates it because that's what they did the test on. They took all these long COVID people who had had it for over a year and a half, two years, long COVID, all the symptoms, and they gave them all 
patch to wear for six days, and they all were completely cured in six days, except for one who had to do it for 13 days. But it works. So, so what, 13 it days? It works. It totally <laughs> works. Rainbird, I didn't know any of that. That's good. I hope everybody heard that. <laughs> all right. Yeah, we'll I hope everybody heard it, too. So, yes, blessings on your evening and happy dream time. Happy dream time. Until we meet this afternoon again. Thank you, Rainbird. Aho. Aho. 13 thank yous, honey in the heart. No evil. See you. See you this afternoon, everybody. Aloha. What's that happy New Year stuff? I still can't remember. Melakaliki. <laughs> no, Melakaliki Maka's Merry Christmas. Happy New Year is something else. Yeah. I wrote it down, but I don't see it in front of me right now. Anyway, we love everyone. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.